This podcast is brought to you by MetaFitX Pilates Bootcamp. MetaFitX Pilates Bootcamp is the most complete workout you will ever do. Where we start out each class with high interval training where you're using your body weight exercise, we're using TRX straps, slam balls, and then many other different uh, props and body weight stuff to get that heart rate up, to get that caloric burn that you're looking for, to, to, to lose that weight and to get in great and amazing shape. And at the end of each class, we end with traditional Pilates, both on the mat and utilizing the Pilates springboard. And the purpose of Pilates is just reintegrating everything that you've you've done back into the body. Again, you're strengthening the body, you're toning, and you're lengthening the body. And we're working on that, uh, on the whole um, structure of the body and the alignment of the body. So it's super, super important to your everyday life. You're also going to see muscle tone happening because of the Pilates, that core strength, working on the lower back strength. All that stuff is, is a huge factor in the Pilates. So... Right now, for all you guys listening to these podcasts, right now it's 10% off for one month of membership. That's 10% off. You just give us a call. It's 585-425-1113, or you can email steve at meta-fitx.com and let us know that you heard us from the podcast, and we will get you hooked up with your 10% off for that first month. And thanks a lot, and I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. What's up, everyone? It is Inspired Living with Rodney and Steve. And today we're here with Connor Gallagher. Connor Gallagher is somebody that uh, I've known his family. We've known each other for what, like since we were like two? Little kids, or Especially yeah. my brother, really good friends of my brother, my younger brother, Donald. And uh, he's here today to talk about his family business. He's got a winery called Song Hill Winery, which is located in Victor, New York. Um, so we're going to just kind of get started, start, start to chat about his story a little bit. And first question I have, Connor, is right now we are drinking uh, 2014 Rosé. Can you just tell us a little bit about this wine, like what it's, I don't just any, anything about this wine, like how, it's, how you make it, all in flavors and that kind of thing. Yeah. Some good, one of my favorites that you have. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, yeah, so we, we focus, we're small family winery, so um, I, I'm pretty much a one-man show with the volunteer help of all my family, um, <laughs> and uh, we focus on Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Cabernet Franc. Those are three varietals that tend to do really well in this region, and we can talk more about that if you want. Um, but uh, this rosé is done in a Taval style, so there are two styles. One is Provence, which is northern France. And those are what probably the majority of rosés and what people think about in terms of rosés. They are lighter, crisper. Oftentimes they, they come with some sweetness. Um, this is a Taval style, which is more like the, the area of France's Rhone that they make it. Um, mm -hmm. And it gets a lot more skin contact time. Um, I even gave it a little, very little bit of oak to bring some of that out as well. And so it's a, it's a darker, kind of a richer, um, spicier rosé than you would expect, but it's a it's a dry rosé. Um, all our wines are dry. I don't um, really do any filtration. Um, very small exceptions because I like unfiltered wine. Um, and uh, so yeah, that's that's a little bit about now. This. Now, what's the difference between like a like what what does that mean? Unfiltered versus versus filtered? Like what's yeah? So um, most <coughs> most wines go through some type type of filtration process. So they'll use, there's a couple different types of fil filters. There's pad filters, 
um, uh, membrane filters, um, and they basically just really, really, really small holes um, that you filter the wine through, and it takes out a lot of the solids. Um, so unfiltered wine might ha will have a lot more, a, a little bit more sediment. Sometimes it'll be noticeable in the mm -hmm. bottle or even in the glass. There's a little bit of sediment. Um, and the other places that I've worked, I've done, I've done filtration, and I, I never liked the finished product as much as the original product, with the exception of wines that had some issues. So okay. if, if the wine itself had some issues, there were times when filtration could help that. But you can never really filter and not take out some of the flavonoids in the wine. So for, for that primary reason, I like not to do filtration if I can get away with it. The okay. only exception is um, we, we did a Riesling uh, last harvest. It was the first time we did a Riesling. And there's a lot of acidity with, with Riesling, and it helps sometimes to add a little bit of sugar. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're going to leave, if you're not going to have a fully dry wine, you're going to have some sugar left in the wine, it can be susceptible to microbial spoilage. Um, so you will want to do a, 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 what they call a sterile filtration, where you filter it out with a filter that's, uh, the hole in the filter is um, 0.45 um, microns. Whereas the smallest like bacteria cell is 0.57 microns. So in other words, yeah, it's totally like it's as sterile as you can get a wine um, when you bottle it. There's there, there'll be almost no um, microbial cells left to build up any kind of mass and, and, and ruin your wine. Wow. Um, but that's that's the only time that, that I do any type of filtration. And the other thing, too, is that um, you can't, um, when, you, when you take out a lot of the solids, that's kind of also where a lot of the nutrients are in wine. And, and so I, I kind of believe that unfiltered wine is, it is a little bit healthier. Not that I'm trying to be a proponent of wine as a health beverage. You know, obviously, <laughs> <Why not? laughs> it, it's a luxury beverage. Yeah. It's, it's something yeah. we enjoy. But um, I think that the, the merits of it as a health product are kind of dubious. But right. it's something that we enjoy drinking. And I think that like, it is a little bit healthier if it's unfiltered. Right, um, because it does leave a, a little bit more of the nutrients intact. So. Gotcha, gotcha. So why wine? Like, how? Tell me the story. Like, how did you end up owning Song Hill and starting it, and where'd you come from? Yeah, so I I started out. I actually when I first graduated college, um, I had a degree in Italian, which was a lot of fun during college, but not very practical. <laughs> Um, I ended up working for um, an investment bank as a paralegal. Um, I worked for Deutsche Bank uh, for a while. And then from there, I ended up working for a law firm in Chicago. And um, I thought that I would kind of move toward law school. And that was one of the reasons why I moved. So I was a paralegal. If, I don't know if you're familiar with the difference sure. between a paralegal and a lawyer. But um, I didn't have a JD degree, basically. Um, and uh, But other than that, I did a lot of the similar things. That, that lawyers did a lot of the same research, a lot of the same client work and things like that. Um, it was all corporate law, investment um, company act law, so like securities and exchange commission type stuff. Um, and uh, I thought that I would go to law school, but when I was at the um, law firm, I kind of, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. I, wor I worked like crazy hours. There were times when we were closing some deals and I would like spend the night in my office, you know, get a couple hours of sleep, wake up and keep working. And um, the attorneys and the partners at that law firm, they were actually there more often than longer hours than I was. So there was like, there's no light at the end. It's all, I didn't 
particularly, I enjoyed some aspects of the work, but on the whole, it was just really kind of wearing on me. The idea of having a family was, you know, I, unless I was going to be a lawyer and be very wealthy and have these kids that I saw only on vacation time, um, it wasn't really going to be um, the, the, the type of future that I wanted. So I kind of went back to the drawing board and was like, okay, what should I do with my life? You know, that, and like, anything's yeah. on the table now like I didn't feel like I was committed to do to stay in the same field or you know anything like that now did you have kids at that time too? I did not yeah that's okay yeah that's and then, then so that that kind of helped right um so I started kind of I just kind of <coughs> okay what am I good at what do I really really like to do I've always been very drawn to agriculture um one of the things that I kind of fantasized about from being an Italian degree and studying abroad there I thought, I, I really thought that their agricultural communities were just, were awesome and how respected they were to the way that they grew things. I, I kind of, you know, fancied myself having like an olive orchard or something like that when I got out of school. So I thought, okay, I really like agriculture. And then um, I had really gotten into wine, particularly there in Italy because of its kind of cultural presence um, it, it was always kind of matched with food. Um, like they, they, it just kind of married with the culture. Um, they were very big on the local wines in particular. Like they were very proud of their local varietals um, and, their, mm -hmm. and their companies and their local agriculture was very important to them. And just kind of the way they integrated it into everyday life I thought was really, really cool. So I had kind of carried that with me and I, I would drink a lot of wine. We would host wine tasting parties where we would buy Pinot Noir from all over the world and then blind taste them with all our friends and cook food to pair with it. Oh, cool. And so I was like, okay, I really like wine. I really like agriculture. Um, in, in high school in particular, um, I was really, really good at math and chemistry and that kind of thing. And it was funny, when I worked at the law firm, I was known as the paralegal who could do numbers. So a lot of the lawyers and other paralegals would give me stuff that required some number crunching mm -hmm. because they didn't like to do math in particular, but I actually kind of had an aptitude for it. And in winemaking, biochemistry is a huge aspect of it. You learn all about the different chemical reactions that happen in wine. Um, so I thought, well, this is really cool. Let me look into this. And the University of California, Davis had a program that I could literally take online. Uh, the only difference between that and their full-blown bachelor program was that the bachelor program actually had to do the labs um, in in the um, in the distant what they call the distance learner program basically their online program you they would give you information that other students in their classes had done and then you had to um, write the lab from that so you were given imperfect data it wasn't like you were given here's this computerized lab data, you were given imperfect human data, and then you had to interpret, okay, well, where did they make a mistake, or this reading looks off, this number, and so it really helped, even though I didn't get the hands-on work, it really helped you to learn, so um, I, I talked to some other people in the field and said, hey, if I go into this, how, how does this work for a career path for me, and a lot of people said, I did it, it worked out really well for me, I recommend you do it, if this is something you're really passionate about, so... How uh, were you at the time? I was uh, 28 when I first started taking classes there. Cool. Nice. And Well, when I started taking my prereqs. So they said, if you want to get into this program, you have to go back to college and take a uh, some biochemistry prerequisites. So, so once I took those, because I was, you know, I was about, I was six years out of school and none of my other 
um, classes, you know, would, would translate to that. And they said, we really want you to have really fresh chemistry knowledge before you walk into this program. Right. So I, I went back, did a bunch of pre-chemistry requirements, and then got into the program. And so I was, I was working and doing, you know, those classes um, on the side, um, like when I would come home at night. And then um, in, uh, I finished that up in the fall of 2010. And at the time in the city of Chicago, I've heard that there's more now, but I moved. But at the time, there was one winery, meadery, brewery. And I had, um, my wife had gotten me a gift certificate to go um, buy some products there to, you know, make my own wine and that kind of thing. And I met with a guy, I talked with him, I asked him questions, and he was, he was kind of like, you're asking questions that my normal customers, you know, your average home winemaker, home brewer doesn't ask. And I told him about my background and my ambitions, and he said, hey, you want to work for me on weekends? So I started working in, um, oh, at this cool. small... Yeah, and it was really cool, like meadery. He, he had hives all over the city of Chicago, and we would, uh, beehives, and we would use oh, the honey to make wow, mead. Wow, the city, wow, that's Yeah, awesome. he had them on top of, like, the hotel, the Marriott, and he Chicago's could, a cool city. Yeah, yeah, and he could tell the difference between the, the, the honey based <laughs> on what type of flowers were planted around the city at oh, the times cool. of the year. That's so we, awesome. would make, we would make different mead based on the different times of seasons that he would harvest the honey. Wow. Um, so we commercially brewed beer for for that um, the the, the was that the Marriott it was the Marriott downtown. Um, their house beer was actually made by him. So we would brew big batches of beer for them, and then uh, he actually had me teaching home winemaking classes. Oh wow! Um, so that was so I did that for about eight months or so. Uh, it was actually really cool because I actually got two harvests in. Maybe it was nine months. I got two harvests in because. He would bring in grapes. Uh, you can't really grow a lot of winemaking grapes in Illinois. Um, so he would bring them in in the fall from Washington and California, Washington State and California. And then in the spring, he would bring them in from Chile um, because they're Southern Hemisphere. They have an opposite harvest schedule right. to us. So he would have them shipped in. So I actually got two harvests in, in my time there, even though I wasn't even there a year. And then I got a job out here in the Finger Lakes as an assistant winemaker at a small boutique um, winery called Heart and Hands. Um, and I worked there for a couple of harvests. And during that time period, um, so I grew up out here, um, you know, not too far from Steve. Our families went to the same church. Um, and so my family was all out here, and I kind of um, got not reacquainted because I, I kept in pretty good touch with my family, mm -hmm. but just kind of into what was going on with the family. And my grandparents had... A, um, a, at the time, it was a 48-acre horse farm, um, thoroughbred breeding horse farm. As a kid, I used to go there all the time. I helped my grandpa clear one of the paddocks. We used to feed the horses all the time. Um, well, in um, the this uh, particular um, breeder, this was my it was my cousin who did it. So it was my grandma's nephew who was the horse trainer. He grew too big for the farm, needed more acreage. And he ended up moving the whole operation to Mechanicsville, um, which is just, just outside of Saratoga. He bought 114 acres right by the Saratoga racetrack. Yeah, yeah. And so the yeah. farm was sitting dormant for six years. You know, my grandparents had planted some table grapes and some uh, flowering trees, just anything to try and keep the agriculture going on the property. But they were in their 80s. And, and um, the, the barn that I'm in now is totally... Um, there was nothing in there but some old agricultural equipment and some squirrels, you know, it was, um, so I asked them, I said, Hey, first I said, cause I knew I kind of always wanted to own my own business. Um, and 
I had asked them if I could store some, um, I'd seen some used winemaking equipment that was really high quality and very good price. And so while I was working at this other winery, I, I asked them if I could store equipment in their barn because I knew they weren't doing anything with it. And they said, sure. And then I got in there and I'm like, you know, I wonder if I could make this work. So I asked them um, if I could, if, if they would be open to the idea of me starting a little winery there. And they said, that'd be great anything to get the farm going again. They were super supportive. So um, in 2012, at the end, I, I finished um, most of the harvest at this other winery. And then I started my own harvest. Just I did a mini harvest to see if the facility would work. So we just did um, a small batch of Cabernet Franc. And um, it worked out really, really well. The, the barn needed some work, but my grandparents were super supportive. They put a lot of money into... Um, uh, you know, um, kind of rehabbing some of the, you know, sure. or changing, I wouldn't say rehab, but changing it over. Mm -hmm. um, I cleaned it out really well. We got rid of the squirrels and um, mm -hmm. um, we've done some work to the inside now and, and it's really uh, very functional. It's, it's working out great for what we're doing. So that's kind of, you know, how I started and it worked out so well in 2012 and 2013, we did our first full-blown harvest. So um, we did 14 tons of grapes, I think. It was just under 500 cases. 14 um, tons? Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And wow. five, well, 500 cases. And it's growing each year, right? You're getting more... Uh, yeah, well, I've changed, you know, kind of as... It was really important to do a lot that first year so that I could have a full portfolio because right. a lot of the wines, like, for example, our, our very first champagne is coming out this year. And that was the 2013 vintage, but that has to sit in bottle for three years before you can release you it. You get it out before New Year's? Yes. Oh, it's coming good. out in a week or two. So you awesome. can look forward to that. That's so there's good. a lot of like, like really planning ahead in this business. Oh, it's, yes. So you, like, you're probably planning stuff for three, four years from now. Yeah. And when I, when I sat down and did the original business plan, I mean, it was like just pure speculation. Um, we started selling in the fall of 2014. That's when we first had wine that we... So we started operations in the fall of 2012, and it wasn't for two, two full years. years. And even then, I was only selling three wines. How do you keep your so, head on straight uh, during those two years? Like, it was, you know, it, it was... Actually, it was a lot of support from family, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. a lot of guests were... I mean, I, I'm... From being a paralegal, I'm actually really good at paperwork, which is very beneficial in this industry because it's so <laughs> regulated... I do as much paperwork now as I do as I did as a paralegal. It's it's crazy. It, um, it's amazing. It's a great. It's great that you have that talent because a lot of entrepreneurs do not. Right. I would be one of them. Right. You know, a lot like, of them have to sub it out to other yeah, people. Yeah. So that's really good. And then you're in 100 percent control of it. You completely understand it, which is super important. Right. You know? Right. And then I'm 100 percent responsible for any mistakes and right, right. things like that. But right. yeah, it's a lot. You know, when I finish, I've usually finished harvest right around now. A couple weeks ago, we I just did the last pressing. <laughs> And then December and January, and, and sometimes even a little bit of February, the vast majority of my time is doing paperwork. I'm doing the year-end filings. Inventory is crazy with alcohol. I mean, I can't, I'm not allowed, like if I have a batch of alcohol that goes bad, you know, as, a, as a home winemaker, you just, you know, you dump it out. Right. Um, I can't do anything with it unless I get federal approval from the TTB, the Alcohol Bureau of Tobacco and Firearms. Oh, wow. Months. Yeah, I have to get approval from them in order to dump the wine or sell it. I can sell it bulk to a vinegar processor or something like that, but I have to get TTB approval. So I have to account for every drop of wine um, in, in the event that I Do you grow the grapes? 
We so we've planted on the property now. We have yeah. so um, you sub you you like right now. I, yeah, and, and I always will because where we are located, um, our soils are good for certain varietals, but not others. And the climate is a little bit cooler versus on the finger lake. When you're right on those finger lakes in the winter time, you get um, because a lot of the finger lakes don't freeze. They actually get a warming effect, and they're um, they're actually one zone warmer. Like if you ever buy those gardening magazines where they say what zone you are, yeah. The Finger Lakes region, even though it's only you know 20, 30 miles away, they're actually one zone warmer for the for the growing there, and that's why they're able to grow some of the varietals that they can grow down there. I can't, so I'll always have to contract with other growers. So there's some vineyards that I work with, um, and they um, built they grow grapes, and I tell them kind of. How I want does the market or does that does that change in price constantly? Like is that is it like prices are pretty steady actually, um, which has been nice. There there's been a few times um, when we had those really bad winters, the 2014 2015 winter and the 2015 2016 winter. Those two winters really crushed the red grape varietals in particular. I got um, no Cabernet Franc those two years and just a tiny amount of Pinot Noir. It was just really, really difficult for growers. And so there was um, a little bit of a price increase for those who had it, but the growers were very careful because um, they understand our bottom line too a little bit. I mean, they can only charge us so much before it's not profitable for us to right. produce a wine. And they also didn't wanna turn people off for years when they have surpluses. Um, like this past year, because of all the early season rain, it was actually a very heavy crop. Uh, the, the, the grapes were, the, the vines were able so to. So, yeah, there was more. And so one of my growers actually came to me and said, hey, can you take another ton? Um, and unfortunately, uh, I was able to do it. Uh, which it, So it's nice to have that. And so they know that the relationship goes both ways. If they had jumped the price way up on us, then there's no way, you know, that I wouldn't be as amenable, you know. So it, right, it's like yeah, a right. symbiotic relationship. That's but it's, awesome. But it was really tough for them because there were a couple of vineyards that I know were very close to going under because it's the same amount of work. You don't have a harvest, but you still got to prune, you still got to spray, yeah. you still got to do, and you've got no product to show for it, but you're putting all the money into it. So it was... It was tough for them. For a couple of years, they really... And it's one year. Like, right. Like one year of work. Exactly. And yeah. it's all... Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, Crazy. shit. Right. And they make all their money in October, November. Yeah. And they have a whole year of work. And that those October, November, they, they didn't they didn't have... Um, I it's had, totally out of your control. Right. To a degree. Like, it's crazy. Know, like, yeah. Crazy business, you know. And you, you get yes. all your grapes. Because one of your things is, is, you know, supporting New York State in this area, Western New York. So yes. you get all your grapes from Finger Lakes and the, one, and the ones that you grow Correct. on your own property as well. Yeah. We, awesome. We're a farm winery. So there's a mm -hmm. couple different requirements. Okay. But two of them are, number one, you have to be located on a farm. Number two you have to, 100% of your grapes have to come from New York State. And then you get some tax advantages and, and other things like that. Like I don't have to charge sales tax for um, sales of glasses of wine. I don't have to charge sales tax for tasting room fees. Um, certain things like that are advantageous. Mm -hmm. I pay lower um, excise taxes on the alcohol that I produce as a farm winery. Um, and there were some years, um, actually one of the years, New York State relaxed it when there was that, that it was that right after the 2013-2014 winter. Um, that 2014 February was so brutal. I think it was 2014. That the 2014 harvest was so, was so um, there was such a dearth of red grapes 
that they said that you could apply to the state if you were a farm winery and get out-of-state grapes that year. I didn't because right. um, I'm so small. And it's kind of interesting. Somebody who's huge, like a Dr. Frank or a you know, Bully Hill, um, they might have needed to do it. Right. Um, but they also, like um, Anthony Road, a wine company, they have um, 80 acres of vineyard. 30 of which they utilize, the other 50 they sell. And those grapes go all over the world, all over the country, I should say. They send them out to California. They sell them all around here. And, and I get grapes for them. I would get like, you know, two to four tons from them in a year. Whereas somebody like Dr. Frank's Just getting... Just imagine that, like ton, a ton of grapes. Yeah, so I'm getting 48,000 pounds of grapes. Dr. Frank is getting 27, 35 of a varietal. <laughs> so, you know, so they're getting they're getting 30 tons of Cabernet Franc. They're getting 27 tons of Riesling. Mm -hmm. And so it was much easier for them. They thought that they were really kind of good about it. Like they would cut Dr. Frank back five tons and cut me back one ton. You know, like they wouldn't, um, they, they wanted to keep up the relationship because they kind of had the same idea. We want to support the small local growers. Right. You know? And somebody like Dr. Frank, it's just a bulk business to them in a certain sense for a lot of their wines. For me, it's more like I have all of, uh, on each of the bottles, you'll see, well, not on the rosé because of the, the growers, but I have actually, th these are the people who grew the grapes, and I have the vineyards on the back of all of my bottles. Cool. That's awesome. Um, I, um, not, not a lot of people do that, but to me, it's like, they're the ones who put in a whole bunch of work so that I could do this, and I want them to get credit for it as well. Right. Um, That's awesome. That's yeah, really cool. Yeah. So I have a question for you too. So obviously you're from Rochester, you're from this area, yes. right? Um, and you have family here too. But what was, was that the main draw of coming back here and growing, doing winery? Because we know here is like one of the most difficult places to do a winery or to, to grow wine, isn't it? With just yeah, I, temp, you know, like, because if you really want to do it, and do, I would think from my lack of knowledge, if you want to do it really well, you go to the West Coast and you do it and then it would probably, you probably yes. have a much better profit margin and everything else, correct? I, I don't know about profit margins out there. I haven't looked into those business plans. Real estate's a lot more right. expensive. The right. grapes are a lot more expensive okay so it, it's maybe not quite apples to apples you can right. charge a lot more for a bottle of wine in napa valley than you can in the finger lakes right but when i finished up schooling that was my thought i'm going to the west coast eventually right. and I, I applied to jobs on the west coast and i saw a job out here in the finger lakes and when i finished um up with my schooling and i was working weekends at the the winery in chicago um I, uh, we, we had our first child and we had a, another child on the way. So coming here, I, I saw the job was available out here and this was one of the only ones that I got an interview for. There's a lot more competition for the jobs out there. Right. I got an interview for the job out here, um, which I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I got for any of my West Coast positions that I applied to. I'm trying to remember. I don't. And you've got family here, right? Yeah. And like so, and so my mom, my mother was like. I'll help you with childcare. You don't have to worry about that because it was a huge. I mean, I went from working, yeah. you know, at a at a corporate law firm to you know making eleven dollars an hour as, as an assistant winemaker. Right. That's one of the reasons why I moved back up here too is from because of you know versus New York City, huge. right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, but housing was huge. a lot that's different. Like 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 making. Like, I, I've done this in my life, like going from that job that you do very well at to like go to the job. And you kind of throw out even what you're going to make because I'm looking to fulfill something 
greater within myself. Right. Right. Like I'm, I have a passion. I have something I want to do and I don't care how much it pays because this fills me up more than having a full bank account and sleeping in my office. Right. Right. You know, like, yes. You get to see your family a little bit more now. Too. Yeah. I mean a lot more. It's yeah. actually really great. My kids come out like in the summertime when they're not in school um, my wife works full time, so when she's at work, the kids come out to the farm, just like I used to do as a kid, and they run around and yeah. dig up worms and get yeah. dirty and ride their bikes all over. And um, I, I, there's no way you I would carry have this that. on, right? You when you can, yeah. right? Yeah. So if yeah. I if I were still in the corporate world, you know, they they'd be in daycare, or they would, you know, and then I would You'd come miss home. Miss out on all that stuff. You exactly. Know, that's, yeah, that's one of the things yeah, I love is I have my kids. I just yeah. love that. Yeah, it's crazy. So what get, what keeps you going, man? Because I know, like, you're basically, you have help from your family, which is awesome. I've got a, a great support network that helps you with my business as well. But, I'm like, I'm the sole owner of my business. You're a sole right. You're working really hard. It gets it gets lonely, I'm sure, at times, right? <laughs> it it gets, does. So how, how do you keep yourself going each day? What is What do you tell yourself? I mean, how do you focus and just be able to just push through what's what's some of your technique or some of the things that you do um you know that's that's a great question because there are times where it's where it is it is tough i'm actually looking forward to the point and right now it's not in the near horizon but on the long-term horizon where i can hire like a harvest intern and assistant winemaker and i can have somebody else to talk to during the day yeah, instead right, of exactly. talking to myself right right um but my job can be very rewarding itself um, uh, I'll give you a specific example with the wine club shipment that just came out is the 2016 version of the rosé that we're drinking right now. Right. Um, and when I did the fining trial, or the I, we do I do blending trials for the rosé. So the the way that I make the rosé, and this is kind of the way that it's done in in Rome when they make these Tavol styles, is they make basically a, a a batch of red wine essentially, and then they blend in either lighter color red grape, you know, red grapes that didn't get skin contact time, or, um, or white grapes, um, like I've done here with blending in the Chardonnay. And I do a tasting trial in order for that. And when that, when I'm usually done with a tasting trial and I've got that blend figured out, like I did with that 2016 Rosé, I had done that. And then I was like, you know what, I've got this other batch of Chardonnay. I was gonna use it, I had it kind of set aside for this, but let me just see. And I just did this kind of fun little, like off the cuff blending experience, literally where I, I took little pipettes and dropped it into little little bits in the glasses, tried to measure them out mm -hmm. and tried through. And I really liked the way that it turned out. And so I sat down and I just came up with some different numbers for what ratio is gonna be the Chardonnay blend, what's gonna be the rosé. And then the next day I go in and I do it. And it's so rewarding. Like, yeah. That can be very, when you, when something yeah. like that works out and then you just, you go and do it, you know, because especially working at the law firm, like, you know, we would do a filing for a client or we would, we would lay out, you know, a, a corporate contract or something and then we'd send it to them and then they would do it. They would do the business. They would create the product, you know. Right. We did the, the back end, helped them with the right. back end legal the work. But, shit. <laughs> right. But our product was our brain, our experience, but right. we didn't have like this and like bottling day is one of my favorite days I, I just love it because you're getting your product in the bottle and it's mm -hmm. one that's really one of the coolest days and bottling is the only thing that I can't do only by myself I have to have help for that I can do pretty much everything else some things take a lot longer I prefer to have help when I'm pressing and my brother and sister will like get off work and come help me or my mm -hmm. dad will take a vacation time and come help me press and my mom right will come awesome. out or they'll watch the kids and help me do that. But bottling I can't do 
on my own. So it's also really cool because it's one of the most rewarding days. And then I get to share it with all the people who support me the most. You know, right. we've had wine club members come out and help us press. So if ever you want to press, Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So, um, Tell me about wine club. Uh, yeah, the wine club's really, there, there's different um, wineries have you different do it. We do levels. It. Christine and I do. Um, ours is really simple. Basically, you let us keep your credit card on file, and then um, three to six times a year, we release wine. Uh, it'll always be two different wines, and one of them will always be a brand new release. Um, the very first release of that wine. So, for example, S Steve just picked up his wine club shipment today. It's um, the 2014 Rosé, which anybody could buy. Like you could buy any anybody can buy that. You can. And we have it on sale in some liquor stores as well. Um, and then the 2016 Rosé, which only Steve, only wine club members could actually buy. This is the first time anybody's getting that wine. Um, the next wine club shipment is going to be two wines, two sparkling wines. One's a semi-dry and one's a champagne. And um, those are the first two uh, releases of those. So it's the first time um, that anybody will get those wines. Um, there's no hard and fast commitment. So you can. we've had wine club members say, hey, I really only like red wine. So let me replace some of these bottles or let me skip. Like I had a, a release that was just Chardonnay. And I had uh, some wine club members say, hey, can I... Can I skip this one? Or I've had them say, hey, can you throw, can I just have one bottle of Chardonnay and three bottles of Cabernet Franc? Um, so we're very flexible like so you're that. You're doing it all. You're doing the marketing, you're selling it. Yes. So. <laughs> He's like, everything. You're making the wine. Yeah. yeah. Putting the labels on it. Yeah, yeah the labels. Uh, we have uh, one bottle, at, we have a little brother. mechanic labeler and <laughs> one bottle at a time. Maybe you <laughs> have some Oompa Loompas. Yeah, right. I know, right. That'd be, <laughs> that'd some that'd minions be awesome. would be yeah. nice. Some yeah. minions. <laughs> exactly. I just it makes me hearing the wine club thing. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Gary Vee, but he talks about yeah, like that's we're gonna bring a, that up too. Yeah, he's a guy. Uh, Who's that? Should check out Gary Vee. Um, okay, big time. He's not really in the wine. His parents owned a liquor store, but he started like wine library. Okay, like, and he made bazillions of dollars, like just sending out samples of wines to people. And he right. he was just really big into like I think YouTube when YouTube first came out, and he got his name out there really quickly and. Uh, it was a He's quite the personality. He yeah. he would sit down and like have like four or five wines. He would taste them and then he would be on YouTube and you know and talk about them and say you know I and, and just talk about the different what what they're for what they're like that he, he didn't like them or whatever and 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 it was and he's got that personality. I definitely would check him up. He was really kind of cool and now he's taking it into like self help like you know get off your ass and do shit right you know <laughs> and just do do what you love like what we're talking about today with you just you know you were at a job that you just weren't liking and you've turned it around to do what you love and I think and that's. That's where he. That's where he's gone to. That's what Rodney and I are all about and talking about right. constantly. Because I've done the same thing. Rodney's always been following his, what he what he he does and wants to do, and just fuck the nine to five. You know. Yeah, I just <laughs> it's think like, it's like uh, in life, people want. I don't know. I think we get bamboozled, right? Like we get bamboozled yeah. that you need to do this and do that, and like that monetariness is is gonna kind of uh, dictate your success in life and right. I don't know what like you know I think everybody hits that at a different point in their life where they're like wait a second I have money saved now but I don't feel any better right <laughs> you know yeah there's <laughs> I, are you familiar with Alan Watts the I little philosophy yeah. yeah I love his, there's a there's some um, I forget what the YouTube um, 
one did, but they put together a little compilation of things he says. I know you're talking. Yeah. Where he talks about how life is not a journey, that a journey, you have a destination to get somewhere. Like, the purpose of the journey is the destination. Right. Whereas life is more like music or dancing. Like, music, the purpose the purpose of music isn't to get to the end. Otherwise, composers would, would just write finales. And the you know the best the best conductors would be those who did the fastest because you right. would get to the point. The purpose of the music is to play the whole piece, and the same thing with dancing. It's not to get to a, sp- a specific spot. And he's saying that life is like is not a journey. We're not trying to get somewhere because you know you, you get suckered in the whole time, and then you know all of a sudden you're you know you you've got a lot of money and you're 50 years old, and okay, here I'm, I've arrived, yeah. and yet you don't feel any different. Whereas it, it was more like a music thing, he said, and we should have been singing and dancing through the whole thing. I, I really like yeah. that. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. It, it becomes a personal thing, right? I think it's like what personally, to each individual person, what gets, what makes you feel awesome? What gets you excited to get out of bed? Right. Yeah. Like, and I can see just in your personality sitting here, like you get excited to get out of bed and do this, you know? And that's awesome. You found purpose. And I think people, I mean, that's part of what we try to talk here is like finding people that have purpose and try to teach people how to like, you can do that too, but you, there's some steps, right? Yes. And I I feel like it takes a moment. Like there's a sick and tired of being sick and tired moment that happens. And then they're like, okay, I'm doing that thing that I always had the idea that what if, you know, only, only if, or I wish I would have, Right, you know, that moment, and you're like, no, fuck it, I'm doing it, you know. Um, yeah. But I see that in you, and I see that in what you're doing, and, and and I think that's what excites me about this conversation is like, you had the schooling, you had the job, you had that, and you're like, fuck that, this, there's something there, and I'm going after this, and you've been running, and yeah, you're still doing it. I still am. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We're still hanging in there. Yeah. That's that's, that's awesome. You know, it's, it's the fucking hardest thing in the world. Most rewarding and hardest thing in the world ever is to follow your dreams. You know, it's like yeah. people, you know, people uh, think you're just kind of messing around and playing, you know. Right. When in reality, you're living life yeah. to its fullest <laughs> and its most stressful points. Purpose, right. Or purposeless. Pur- exactly. Right? Like, what's, what's, I just, does that sound like I'm living my life purposeless? Yeah. Like, it just sounds depressing. Right. You know, when like... I wake up, like, for me, it's, like, teaching yoga and teaching fitness and really interacting with humans, and, like, when I get to do that and I see the impact it has on others, it, it's so rewarding. So, like, when you get someone, you know, in your business, like, yeah, you know, like you said, when you're bottling, like, all the work and everything you're done, and it's that reward is coming, it's like, you made this. No one else did it. It was you. You know? I just love that. I think it's great. It so, awesome. numbers, let me ask you a question. Yes. You know about Bitcoin? Bitcoin? Bitcoin. 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 Yes. Yeah. yeah. I do I do know of Bitcoin. Cryptocurrency? Yes. I, I am familiar with that. I, I don't take Bitcoin, but <laughs> you should. I pro- well, yeah, I probably like, should. Yeah, right. And we have a guy it's, coming on in two weeks from the podcast that is uh, oh, he's, a, he's Bitcoin. a Bitcoin miner. So oh, yeah. oh, what do you, what's a Bitcoin miner mean? So um Bitcoin is this like internet currency, right? Um, and anybody can buy like a miner, and basically you're just setting up a network of miners. They're all over the world, um, and they basically run the network, which runs the ledger. Oh, so they create the market, in, in a well, sense. Well, they basically right? the, the, the 
the bank, as it were. They're the they're saying Steve has one Bitcoin, Rodney has two, and they just traded, and they're letting the whole network know this transaction happened. So it's it's the transactions of Bitcoin are based on transparency in something called a blockchain. And right. It's really over my head. <laughs> But what thing. I know about money and what I know about like the way the Federal Reserve works and the way our monetary system works, I believe it's the future. So, yeah, get um, into it now. Because well, tell see, me, tell me this. Like, okay, before email, when all of a sudden we had email, and you would talk to a post office worker, like, like, did you ever think their job was going to go away? But their job's going away. Email is taking place of a lot of that. You know, internet is taking the place of a lot of things. And right. money, people don't, it's decentralized. So there is nothing controlling it. Like there's no like, there's no, like it's based on popularity. Because Bitcoin isn't nothing. It's not like, it's not like a tangible thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's just based on like. Well, all money is like that, right? All, right. all money is just a, it's just a representation of something else. Something that's not really there. Just like right. somebody, somebody right. somewhere said this Bitcoin, is a dollar bill. Dollars. Yeah. Right. Somebody somewhere said this but is a dollar bill. We all somehow agreed. Even, even yeah, nowadays, essentially, the way dollars are going is like, like, like I sold a house and I bought a house, right? right. Like I got a bunch of numbers put in my bank account. Right. Then I put a bunch of numbers to the person that owned this house. And I never saw that money. It never right. was there. Right. You know, but the numbers took place. Somebody was telling me I was I was listening to a podcast about Bitcoin. They were saying there was this one guy who was can't remember his name right now, but he was a big financial guy. Huge has books. He's he's one of the he's one of the predictors that uh, he predicted the our last crash in two thousand was it seven, eight? eight two thousand eight. And um, he was saying how he th doesn't think it's going to last. And he was saying it's the same thing as cash because when you tra when you I got I don't I don't know I'm just this is I'm the middleman because I don't know enough about it. Same with the Bitcoin is once you once you use it it's it, it has to be goes back it, it, it you have to use it for cash. It like transfers to cash still somehow to use it to be able to buy whatever it is you're yeah, buying. Yeah, so it's got to have an exchange so rate with the dollar. Exactly. Well, so it's like the same. Thing. Yeah. I think where Bitcoin is at right now, because there's not enough miners. I mean, there's a lot of miners, but um, it it's still in the infancy, and they're figuring some stuff out with it. But it's more of a, a, a asset rather than a, a currency. Right. I think maybe it can be a currency in the future. Yeah. But it's I mean, a good way to look at it. Watch. I mean, it's ten thousand dollars of Bitcoin right now. You know. I listened to Joe Rogan in 2014. It was like $400, you know, that was maybe three yeah, years I, ago. I mean, it's going to be extremely are, volatile though. Yeah, it, it is. Because of the nature of it right now. It's, it's so, well, you, especially you get one guy that wants to invest a couple of like, 10, but it's all based, million. but those types of things are all based on perception. Yeah. I mean, the same thing Money with the dollar. based on perception. Right, right. It's crazy. You and, know? But that's, that's Imagine one of just, the reasons why the federal reserve was, Put into place to okay. give that perception that that yeah, dollar yeah. will always be worth something because right. there's this huge secretive it's government agency though. behind yeah. it. It's it, bullshit. Well, but all of it is though. But the, the Federal Reserve says, okay, I'm going to print money. Here's money. All three of us get money. Yeah. Now, you need to pay me this money back with interest, but that money doesn't exist. So there's it's, never it's a catch a fucking, up. And then yeah. we're going to print more money. Then you'll owe yeah. more interest. Exactly. And, but that interest interest doesn't exist. So there's no way to ever pay this extra interest that they're charging. Because that money never even existed. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it's. It, it, I think it's just an, an inflationary style yeah. of of economics. So, like with Bitcoin, yeah. there's there's only twenty one mil, million Bitcoin that will ever be around, and the only way it, it it just goes up in value because they just round out. You know. Well, they say well, ever, but then, who who's Wait, to say? So how, how's it different than gold from that standpoint? Then, other than you can mine more, but in, in there's a finite amount of gold in the. I think it's about the same, other than gold is something that. Why can't somebody else just create more? Gold. There's other cryptocurrency besides Bitcoin. Oh yeah, there's so like why can't somebody else? Ethereum, why, why can't somebody else just create? Why, why can't some? They say okay, there's only 21 million it, Bitcoins. Why yeah. can't somebody just say well, well it's we're going to create saying, popularity? Right, it, we'll just create it's more. all perception. Yeah, yeah and so it's like it, it's so fucked up. It's like it'd be, and this will obviously never ever happen. But it'd be crazy if everybody just decided to say, you know what, fuck money. Let's just do things for each other, we'll barter <laughs> with each other, and just it, it, it's like because then it would be done, it'd be gone, there'd be no because it, it's the only reason why it exists and stays is because we all play the game because we all do it, we're all in it, we all. But do there's it. a couple people that are like the, the puppet masters, right? Of course, sure. There's know, the ones you don't see behind the, the scenes, Rothschilds, like the Rothschilds you know, like, and. Like, Scary people like that, yeah. That's you know? not even the, yeah, not even, not people that we ever we just see. Yeah, we just got to <laughs> go down this conspiracy theory real fast. Give us, give us a glass of wine. And <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. Well, no, I, I think I think just kind of like, it, it, I mean, if you would think, right, like if you would talk to someone from 1900, and you'd say, you have this thing. I'm holding a cell phone. Like I have this thing where I. Have, I can take pictures. Anybody <laughs> in the whole world, any part of the world, with almost. Yeah. Like I can, I can ask it a question, and it's going to answer. Like, how could they understand it? Right? They wouldn't. Well, you, you could tell them somebody from 1900. When was Kitty Hawk? 1906. So I think you could tell somebody from 1900. You're going to be able to get in a glorified horse and buggy without the horse, and you're going to be able to fly to the other end of the country in an hour or two, they would be like, they, they couldn't wrap their minds around that. Right, so I think yeah. like these technologies and the yeah. ways we're going nowadays, like it's really hard for people to wrap their mind about and then they get scared about it. But um, I, it's going back to Bitcoin, I think it's, it is like, and it may not be that specific one, but the future of money is changing. Oh yeah, I, I would agree rapidly. with that for sure. Yeah. I heard someone talking about, a, it's like a card, like, that's gonna have all your accounts on it, right? Yeah, like, you have one. They have it's out now. Or something. It's art now. Yeah, I forget like, what it's called, but you can. I've seen it every time. You know, and eventually it's gonna be a card that like has your social security number, your passport, your everything on it. Well, they're gonna be they're chipping people already yeah. too. So that's where they're going with that oh, shit. It's you know, the mark of the beast. It's a mark of the beast right <laughs> there, <laughs> man. Armageddon. Yeah. <laughs> it's here. You know, they can track you. They can already. You have this on you. They can track you anyway. So. You know, um, yeah. but it's, it's fucking whatever. I mean, the way I, I used to get so freaking paranoid about that shit and like literally all I would could, would think about is like and talk to some of my friends about is just, you know, I'm going to buy a cabin in the woods and just like hide away for the rest of my life and just you know, <laughs> live off the land. But now it's just like screw this shit because there's so many, you know, people out there that are fucked up. There's so many people out there that are not conscious whatsoever they're just down and their heads are down and they're doing the nine to five every single day and they're and they're um they got their miserable on sunday and they got their football on sunday and i'm like you know i don't have that you know and i have a different perspective you have a different perspective rodney has a different perspective there's only other people out there you know what fine there's there's fucking crap crappy shit going on in the world but there's also some great wonderful things going on so i can either go hide in the woods somewhere and just be like done with it and be like you all suck 
Or I can be like, you know what? Some things suck, but I'm not going to focus on that. Let's focus on the good things and let's help. I mean, I've, I've gone through, like all of us have crappy shit in my life and gotten through things and created business, my new business. Uh, you guys have your business and your things too. Why not share that with other people? And why not live the life to the fullest potential instead? And whatever things that happen that are out of our control that the Rothschilds do or all these other people do, screw it. Let's just have fun in the process, you know, and just support people. I think it know? comes back to purpose, right? Yeah. Like I think I think if have you have purpose, purpose in your yeah. life, like that, that answers so many questions, right? That answers so much. Yeah. Like other things where you try to find fulfillment, right? Like, you know, where like a car or a house or like new clothes or this stuff, like you get this temporary feeling of fulfillment. But like when you get up and you're doing what you love and you're with the people you love and you love the connections, right? Like connections, yeah. fulfillment, purpose, like these ideas, I don't know, that's what I base my life around. Yeah. Like in one of my, my big things, and I've said it many times on this podcast, if it doesn't serve me, I quit it. If something in my life, it, it, it brings me down and makes me feel like shit, like it, something about it like is, doesn't fit and I can feel that in my gut, I end it. I stop it because I've known like when I try to push like my old gym, like I, I just knew like, okay, this isn't, this isn't what I want. And, yeah. you know, you struggle with that. Like, this is not yeah. what I want. And similar to, like, probably you when you were, you know, working your job or you're sleeping in an office, you know, like, you realize that. And I think when you start, like, making those steps to, like, quit what doesn't serve you, like, you, you make those steps quicker in life mm-hmm. once you've already done it. But that first one, that <laughs> sick and tired of sick and tired yeah. one, that's the hardest it's one. It's scary. Taking that it risk, was, man. It was very scary. Yeah. Um, yeah, making the move out here and, and, and kind of just hoping that it would work. I mean, we had a lot of support, but yeah, I think to that too, for people who are looking for that, for me, I think there's, when you look for something to do, I mean, we all have to work and it's just the way our society is created, you know? Um, to me, it's, it's what you, you look for one of two things. It's either creating something or service. That's where you're going to find familiar. Either you're creating something, yes, please, um, or uh, you know, like like me with having the wine with the products, or you know, whether it's your art or you know, whatever it is you're you know, or you're building, making a car, or whatever. You're you're creating something. You're using your your powers to to make something real and tangible. That's really hard. Or yeah. or like you guys are doing, I think it's a service. You're yeah. helping other people right. you know, reach their fitness goals, their nutrition goals, whatever it is, you're, you're, it's, there's a service to it. I think there's a service aspect to, to what I was doing at, from a legal standpoint, you know, when I was a paralegal, but it really got, for me, lost in a lot of the materialism. A lot. I mean, it was, it was all, it was a lot of corporate investment industry, you know, and just like you were talking, like with the Bitcoin and like, it's all kind of just not, to me, that whole industry, it's all kind of built on itself and its own illusion and yeah. its own search of you know, profit margins for the sake of profit margins, not profit margins for the sake of, hey, we're creating something or we're providing a service that people right. want. We're helping, we're, you know, and, and those are really where I think if people are like, okay, I'm sick of this rat race. What can I do? I, I, I would say those are the two areas where they should look. What are my creative abilities? Or if you don't feel like you have that, how can I help other people further their creative abilities? Those are really the best. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think asking yourself one of the, one of the questions 
that I that I love that I've heard a lot of a lot of these new entrepreneurs out there talking about. Uh, you know, how can how can you be of service to others in this world? Whether you work, you know, whether you have your own business or whether you're working a job you don't even if you're working a job that you don't even like maybe you're you know um uh, like a, a waiter or a waitress or maybe you're going to work and you're you know working as in a law firm you don't like or whatever it is how can you be better service to others yeah keep asking yourself that question and then if you are an entrepreneur or you want to become an entrepreneur how can you better other people's lives through what you do and that's the most important thing and there's something called yeah. conscious capitalism that's been that's yes. John McKay. McKay. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. John McKay, oh, oh, um, Whole Foods guy, owner. Mm-hmm. Oh, now it's Amazon. But anyways, he talks about it a lot. And then um, you ever heard of the Container Store? It was a, yep. a store. So he, I forget the 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 guy who started that, but he talks about it. And there's a lot of other uh, Thrive. Those guys that started Thrive, they're all talking about this. And, and there's there's I'm I'm hoping I get this right. I might get this a little off, but there's three things that I think there's three main things that they're looking for. Is number one. How can I serve the our our the people our customers better? How right. can we make their lives better? Number one. Then number two. How can we make our employees' lives better? Right. And number three. How can we make the world better? And so it's like basically you're profiting, but you're profiting for to 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 obviously support your lifestyle and your family, but you're also profiting. Again. So how can you make the your customers' lives better and improve their lives? And how can you make your employees' lives better, improve them, and help them grow? And how can you improve the world? How can you make the world a better place to live in, not make yeah. it worse? And then and then looking at things in that way, and then you structure your business around that. You structure your life around that. And it changes everything. You know, there's not all this. Not, it's not, you're not, you know, if you're a publicly traded company, you're not just trying to, you know, appease the, the investors, the board right. members. You know, not it's not about dollars and cents. Right. It has to be to a certain extent to keep a business alive and to survive, obviously. But that's not that's not the end-all, be-all. You're looking at the bigger picture of things. And I think I love that. And that's yeah. how I'm structuring my company. And just, you know, it's I think it's such an... It's, it's amazing. And that, that's what's going to change the world. Because that's really yes. where the world's going to start to change. When you get these larger companies that got millions and billions of dollars that are for the the greater good, right. that's when things start to change. And all everybody else starts to fall in, fall in and, and find their way to be able to do that as well. Right. You know, it's all control of money. It is. Like, it's still, it we're still right talking about that. money. So, we're like, still talking about There's an old uh, punk rock band, Fugazi. Oh, I love Fugazi. And, like that line, it's not what they're selling, it's what you're buying. Yeah, exactly. And it makes me think a lot, like at least where I spend my your your money and where you spend it is a vote. Yeah. You know, in Absolutely. so many ways. Yeah. Right? Fuck the voting booth. You know, vote. With your dollar. With your dollar. Absolutely. And if it costs you a little more, it does. Right. But like, right. I, I can like, so, so like, just for instance, like, so I just bought a new mattress, right? And I was kind of looking at, we needed one, we were moving. Yeah, it sounds like a blue mattress. What the hell is with the blue? Purple, purple, that's right. But part of my reason, like, it's all gimmicks, right? They're full of mattresses that come to your door. Like, right. they all cost about the same. Um, but the ads for this company, like their YouTube ads were hilarious. And I just knew that at least they're probably, their culture mm-hmm. with... I mean, so the idea is you could drop a raw, raw egg on this bed and it won't break. Um, 
and they had this this funny ad and, and I watched it and they had a bunch of ads for everything else and I just thought to myself like a bed's a bed but I don't right. know anybody and Sealy doesn't do anything and they cost $5,000 for a mattress but this, right. this mattress is a little cheaper they have really hilarious ads the culture of this company is probably employing people and taking care of their employees mm-hmm. better like I'd rather send my money to them yeah not even trying or laying on the damn bed I didn't I had no idea Right. You know, it's all right. It's a bed. Right. You know, it, it's it's hasn't been a huge difference, like to me, as far as their technology. Um, but I bought the bed because I like the ads, and I feel like that culture is important. And yeah. They're, yeah. They're like, I don't know. I think the end of the day, you know, where like you, you know, you go to the factory and you work all day, and then you're like your 15 minute break, and then you go and you're and you're done. You know, like I think. I think it is a change going on right now where culture at places of employment are, which is taking care of your employees. Yes, that's culture it is, is huge. It is looked at. And, 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 you know, would you rather work for a dollar an hour more at a place that sucks or, or a dollar less than a place that's right. going to love you and be your friend and, like, worry about, like, you know, oh, you've got some family issues, take the day off. Right, they're going to be easy on you. Right. Rather than, right. oh, you, you're, you oh, got you're fired. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's pretty, yeah. pretty awesome, yeah. And that's why it was a big, I mean, for me, I recognized, like, like my dream, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who would love, oh, I would love to just, you know, start my own winery. But it's not the reality for a lot of people, you know? I mean, yeah. it's just, it's, it's, it's well, not. It, even, you know, doing what, what I do, our wines are more expensive. They're in more of the luxury, you know, end of things. Just, I just, I can't make them any cheaper. I wish I could. Mm-hmm. But that means that there are a lot of people who buying our wines will never be a reality for them. And that's why when we set up the company, myself, my family, my investors, we made it a priority that we try and we, we, we donate, um, when I am profitable, be 10% of our profits right now. It's just whatever we can. Every time I do a wine club release, we donate money to charity. Um, we give the food link. They're a really good, highly rated charity that does That's a awesome. lot. Yeah. Um, and then uh, another one is the Willow Domestic Violence Center because I know that you know alcohol. I mean, that's my primary business, but it also has a dark side. There's a lot of abuse involved with it, and people who are really hurt by alcohol abuse. And so, you know, we want to be aware of that, and you know, help help out the people who are harmed by the product that we're making. Help the people who. Um, it'll never be a reality for them to, to be able to start their own winery, not even to be able to buy our types of wine. And, and when you were saying what keeps me going, because there have been some low points where it's like I had a batch of wine and I know I can't release this. Like they went bad. We had an equi- you know, a valve yeah. went on a tank. I didn't notice it for six weeks. I got vinegar now in the tank. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, and in these early stages, I mean, I mean, we're not profitable yet. I'm not making any money yet. Like it's just, uh, we're just kind of slogging through trying to get to that point. Those types of things are acutely devastating and, and sometimes discouraging. And um, Very discouraging, I can sure. Yeah, but when you were, you know, I, there, I remember a day when I discovered that that was a tank. It was the 2015 Rosé that we couldn't release because it went bad. Um and just like that, like how much does that tank? Like how much would that be if you were selling those in bottles? Like how uh, much of that, a loss is that? That was about five thousand dollars. That's not the cost, but yeah. about what I would Minus make off of that. Man hours yeah, and yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was about five thousand dollars worth of wine. Just and, out the door. Yeah, I mean, uh, I had prepped it for bottling, and or, um, or I was going to prep it for bottling the next day. So I had 
people also get my family members coming out to help me bottle. And uh, right before bottling, we, we do a process where we kind of rack it off any sediment. So we siphon the wine off the top. Because like I said, it's not filtered. So I try and get all the sediment out that I can. Um, so we rack the sediment off the top, or we rack the, the good wine off of the sediment. And I went to do that and I opened the tank and immediately I'm like, something doesn't smell right. And as soon as I pulled it off, there was just, you know, a layer of spoilage on the top. And I knew, I was like, oh my God. And I had no idea what went wrong. So I'm like pulling off um, wine, siphoning, you know, pulling off wine off the top to put into a sample to send to the lab. And when I went to put the lab back on, I touched the, the, the valve. There's like an airlock valve because when you leave wine in tank for a long period of time, as temperature changes, the wine will expand and contract. So you need a you need an airlock valve that'll allow that to happen other than building up all this pressure inside your tank, right? So I touched the airlock valve and it had cracked, like a just a hairline crack at the bottom that you couldn't see, but the wine had been sitting in there exposed to oxygen for six weeks and it was it was Ugh. shot. And I remember being so discouraged and, and feeling like, you know, maybe this isn't gonna work out, maybe I'm not gonna be able to and thinking about, you know what though, there there, there are people who do benefit for the like we give money to charity and, yeah. and when we are profitable we're gonna be giving more money to charity. Like and I remember thinking about like this is more than just me. You know, right. I have so much support for my family. We've changed my family's farm. My grandparents have loved having having the winery there and they're so supportive. Yeah. You know, so there's more to this than just myself and my own okay pity party for myself right now. This sucks. But knowing that we're serving something greater here and that we can, I can work through this. And I mean, that was a couple of years ago and we're still going. So that's awesome. I mean, that's what keeps me going too. It's like, I like, I'll, one of the things I always look at is what the fuck if I, what, you know, and I don't always look at this, but you know, I've had people say this, well, what's your backup, what's your, what's your, um, backup plan? Cause every good business yeah. plan, every good, every good business in the, in the traditional business world, right? Every yeah. good business plan always has a backup plan. And right. I'm like, and then, so then if you look at the more progressive business people, they're like, they don't even do business plans, number one, a lot of them. And number two, they're like, no, you're doing what you're doing because you're, you're passionate about it and that's what you're doing. Fuck it. You have to do it. You have no way out. There, <laughs> that's it. it. And that's, it reminds me of the quote, uh, if you want to take the island, burn your fucking boats. Exactly. You know? Right. And that's, that's it. So I, I, I will look when I have a shitty day like that. One of the, the things that keeps me going too is like thinking about what else could I do? And I'm like. Yeah, there's nothing else. This is it. I love doing this, and this is it. I'm done. And then it goes to all the people that are supporting me as well. And I'm just like, I want to disappoint this person, that person, that person. I want to disappoint my members because they love it. I see the smiles every single day when they come in, right. or like the you know the the fuck yous because I don't want to do another freaking burpee, you know. But you're still gonna do it. Um, that's great. But it's so it's so it's it's it, that's that's what keeps you going, and that's awesome. You know, I think that that's yeah. I think that's what for everybody out that's listening right now something to really remember is that you know if you've started if you just started a business or even if you don't have a business if you have a shitty day or you're just you know not knowing where you want to go in life just look around you at the at the people that love you and support you and look around you at the wonderful things that you have you live in a house you eat food every single day and think about it from that perspective gratitude. that changes everything that gratitude that changes everything and then once that mindset changes 
things happen that are awesome and you see things differently, you know? Some people will be crushed by that $5,000 loss that you had, you know? But you plug through, you saw, okay, I got, I'm gonna get through this, we're gonna do this, we're gonna make this happen. And you just plug away and you figure it out, you move on to the next thing and you get the next batch of wine, you keep going. And I think that's so, if it's so important. If everybody did that, it would be, you know, everybody would yeah. be much more happier. <laughs> so take me on a trip from a grape to a bottle of wine. Okay. You oh, know, that's a trip. It's funny. I was thinking about this this year, how many times those grapes are lifted. So they start out, obviously, in the vineyard. Um, the way that it works is, you know, you, you, you in the springtime, you cut off anything, uh, all of your... Um, all your, full, all your uh, wood, so it's the stuff that's become woody on the vine, the, the shoots. You cut off all the ones that have died from winter, um, from winter damage, and you just leave a couple to, to bring out all the New Year's fruit. So those, those, those shoots come off of last year's branches. That's why when you have a really bad winter, it actually affects two harvests because it's affecting the, the buds for the next year as well. Okay, yeah. So anyway, you, so you print off all your winter damage, the new shoots come up, your clusters are right on there, um, and then um, here in the Finger Lakes, we have to do something called leaf pulling because we get a lot of we get a lot of um, rain. Uh, whereas in California, they don't. They have to irrigate. We don't have to irrigate here, but we do have to do leaf pulling. And what we, does that mean? Um, so when it rains, and especially when rain gets inside that cluster, it can it can cause berries to burst, or it can create just mold mildews yeah. that'll just sit in there. Um, so. Uh, we do leaf pulling in the fruit zone. So we pull all the leaves off of the, um, uh, because it actually is, is that the, like the aeration? Like yeah, that allows sunlight to get in there and dry them out faster. It allows wind flow to get in there and dry the clusters out flat faster. So then, um, then uh, around Veraison is is the period where the vine undergoes a physiological change. Veraison. Yep, uh, Veraison. There's some restaurants called Veraison. Um, it's just an industry so term. Raisin came from? I don't, think so but i'm not sure it, it might they might have the yeah. same etymology but veraison is is the point where um red grapes will start to show color and the vine is undergoing a physiological change it stops metabolizing sugar that it's creating from photosynthesis and pumps all that sugar into the into the berries and um, the vines actually start metabolizing acid so acids go down sugar and water content in the berries start to go up and they start to ripen once they're ripened for so us... everything goes to the fruit. Yes. Basically yeah, point. exactly. Yeah. They, so the vines are, are focused only on the fruit. And then once they're fully ripe, for all of our grapes, everything's hand-harvested. Everything's hand-harvested and hand-tended. All the growers we work with, our own grapes, everything is hand-harvested, hand-tended versus machine harvesting, machine pruning, which can do some damage to the vines. It leads to lower quality fruit coming in and that kind of thing. So um, a picker will go through cut all the clusters off, put them in a 35-pound picking lug. Um, for growers who deliver, they stack those so that so they, those all get put down underneath the canopy in the vineyard. And someone behind them drives a tractor, and someone else picks them all up, puts them on the trailer on that tractor. That tractor brings them down to a loading area. Now, if you're uh, for our own grapes, then we'll load them either into a crusher to stemmer or into a grape press, something like that, and we'll start processing right from the picking lugs. For the growers that deliver to me, they stack them into a truck, to, and then they drop off the picking lugs to me. So you still get the 
So I'll get their lugs. Okay. Um, and, and I have to bring fruit. it back. Still yeah, fruit. the fruits in, filled in, yeah, yeah, the whole grape clusters. Yeah. I get the whole grape clusters no matter what. I have some growers that won't, uh, that don't deliver. They just don't have the facilities to do it or the, the, the labor. So, so I'll drive with my truck and I have one ton grape bins. And so then we'll take each of those 35 pound picking lugs and dump them in to the to the to one at a ton. Yeah, well, well, yeah. Sometimes it's more than that. Wow, um, that's crazy. Yeah, like this year alone, uh, one of my growers I got thirty five hundred pounds, so one point three seven one point seven five tons of um, of Chardonnay. We just went and we dumped it all into the to my one ton bins. Then I take those one ton bins back, and then I scoop the grapes out of there, and I put them either into a crusher for the red grapes, or um, I'll um, I'll run them through a destemmer, or I'll put them in a press. Um, and so from that point, so then it depends on what your what your grape varietal is and what you're going to do with it. For so for champagne, all of that gets whole cluster pressed, and that is a process where you take the whole grape grape cluster and you put it into the press and you squeeze it, and then the berries burst and the juice runs out. Can you can you like describe what a press looks like? Yeah, there's a bunch of different types, so it's it's difficult. Um, so there's there's your standard your standard basket press, which is you got a bunch of wooden slats in a cylinder, and you got a big metal plate that goes down on top of it and squeezes it into this you know compact it just squeezes down like a like a French coffee press kind of you know yeah, yeah. Um, cool. I, I have a bladder press uh, so that I can control the amount of pressure so the bladder fills up I have two one either fills up with compressed air or one with water it doesn't matter it's just <laughs> But both of them, I have a valve, and I can control how much pressure I'm putting on the grapes. I like to do very gentle press fractions because the, the more you squeeze the grapes, the more you crush up the skins and the seeds, and the more harsher, bitter flavors you get out of the, out of the juice. I get less volume, so you know I'm getting less yield per ton, but I'm getting higher quality. That's um, awesome. That's, that's... Has quality always been like your main focus? Yeah, I mean, it really has to be when you're a small boutique winery because I don't have economies of scale. So... If I were to make cheap wine, I could never even come close to competing in dollar-wise. We know with somebody like Bully Hill that makes you know a, a cheap right. sweet wine. I couldn't compete with them. They make five hundred thousand cases a year. I make five hundred. <laughs> you know, yeah. So I couldn't. So yeah. So I, it really had to be you know from the that business plan and from what I wanted to do. I didn't want to make stuff I didn't like to drink, and I, I like higher quality wine. So. Right. Um, so yeah, so so for champagne, it gets whole cluster press. So it'll go into the press, and it's got these, it's like a cylinder with wooden slabs around it, and then in the middle of that is is a bladder, like a rubber bladder, and it fills up with compressed air, and it will push the grapes against the slats, and the the juice runs out, and then there's a pan that it runs into, and it goes into a bucket, and then I take it in the bucket, and I'll dump it for champagne. I dump it into a tank. It it ferments in on stainless steel tank. For red wine. We take the, the grapes and we dump them into what's called a crusher destemmer. And so it goes down into an area that has an auger, and the auger is in a cylinder, and the cylinder has holes in it that the berries can fit through, but the stems can't. And this auger has paddles on it that slap all the berries off of the stems. The stems can't pass through the holes. They get, get pushed out one end by the auger. The berries fall through the hole, and then they run through what's called a must pump. So it's a pump, basically, that I hook a hose up to, and I'll put that into a, a, like a little plastic fermentation bin. Um, about 
two thirds of a ton can fit into my fermentation bin. So I'll have small. a hose, yeah, real small. So I'll, I'll hook a hose up to it, and the and the, the berries and and mashed up stuff will all get pumped into into this um, big fermentation bin. From that point, the process is somewhat the same. So the um, then I add yeast. So to the champagne, they're getting a different type of yeast than I give to the to the red wine. What does yeast do? So the yeast take um, the sugar that's in the wine and they eat it. They metabolize it and they produce carbon dioxide. They produce alcohol and they produce heat. And it's just because they use it for energy. Yeah. So while the yeast are metabolizing, so then I measure this by checking this the the specific gravity of the wine. Um, so I check. What do you use? So I, I use a hydrometer. hydrometer. Yeah, so it floats. I used it. Yeah, if you're familiar from brewing, it's the yeah, same exact you know, process. Yeah, yeah. I was in a saltwater aquarium for many years. We use a refractometer. Okay. We know, use those. Levels. We use a refractometer in the vineyard to check the sugar levels of the grapes, to check yeah. the ripeness. Um, so we'll squeeze a little juice onto the refractometer yeah. and, and use that. But for, for my brew, I use a hydrometer. It's a yeah. little bit more precise, I guess, than okay. um, well, unless you buy a really expensive high-end. Now, I have a question about sugar with wine. So yes. being in the health and food industry and being the, pretty sugar. much a non-sugar. <laughs> we already had a conversation a little bit on the drive here. Um, <clears throat> you, so we were talking before about how you're... Wine has no sugar in it, basically. No, what right? they call residual sugar. Residual right. sugar, yes. right? So, w explain a little bit what that means, and I have a couple other follow-up questions. But explain a little bit what that means. What, what do you mean by there's no residual sugar? Like, like, so right yeah. now, if I were to look at the nutritional content of the wine that I'm drinking, you know, what would be what would it say for sugar on that? Like your label on like a regular FDA um, label thing. Like, what does that look like? Let's see. So, yeah, you might have. So, uh, related to the yeast question, yeah. so the yeast take the sugar that's naturally in the grapes, and grapes are one of the sweetest fruit. So um, my grapes come in between anywhere from 18% sugar by volume in the, in the champagne grapes to 24, 25% sugar in some of the red grapes, the later ripening red grapes. Right. So the yeast will eat all of that sugar to dryness. Um, Can we park right there, by the way? I just see a tow truck pulling up. That's why. <laughs> oh. That's why I want to make sure. <laughs> well, you'll get towed second. There's a car yeah, in front that's what of you. I, so right. I was thinking, well, if that uh, car gets towed, then, uh, okay, anyways, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. So the yeast will eat all of that sugar. There are some instances with some wines, um, late, like a late harvest sweet wine, they'll come in at 32% sugar. The yeast will actually not be able to finish it. There's so much sugar, they can't finish it. Gotcha. Or sometimes um, they'll freeze the, the wine to stop the yeast. They'll stop their metabolism and then sterile filter it, like I talked about before, uh -huh. to get all the yeast out, to leave that residual, that's called residual sugar. That okay. is sugar that's naturally from the grapes, that is not added in after the fact. Okay. So like, for example, my, my, my Brut Rosé, it's a sparkling champagne. That wine, that ferments all the way to dryness, and then I bottle it again with a little bit of yeast and sugar and I put a, a beer cap on it and the yeast eat up that sugar and create the carbonation. So then right. again, it goes to full dryness again. Right. Then I take it to have it disgorged. Um, and when, after that, when we put the, when we put the beer, or the mushroom cap into it, we do, we add what's called the, um, the Cordy Tourage, which is a little bit of, um, 
sugar to, to round it out from sweetness. That is not residual sugar, that's added sugar. So like my Brut okay. Rosé, it has seven grams of sugar per liter. Okay. So at, at, at one bottle will have something like, um, I don't know, point, or it'll have maybe four and a half grams of sugar or something like that okay, in, in, in a whole bot in the whole bottle. And that's so that's what shows up on the like that's a, what would yeah label, yeah like on alcohol, for it. whatever reason wine isn't required to put right, those right, nutritional right. labels on it. Right. Um, so is that typical for most wines, or is that more higher end wines that do that? Like because I know they do what you're just smiling from the inside because of that. No, well we've talked about this before. Yeah, no, because they that have like extra sugar in the wine I have like the cheaper well, like, wines are there more sugar in them normally or does it not necessarily like I was saying that, that, general like with yeah the, the, well in general a cheap still wine uh-huh. um, so sugar can sugar um, and and acid can mask wine faults so if you're making a, a cheap wine usually you're using um, a, a, either a cheaper species of grape, you know, a cheaper varietal of grape, or you're, you're doing you know, your machine harvesting, machine pruning, you're overcropping because you don't right. care about the quality, right. right? You're just using the grape essentially to make kind of a flavorful alcohol in a sense. Right. And then you, you sterile filter out any impurities and you add, maybe you'll add some acid and you'll add some sugar to cover any flaws in the wine because gotcha. it's not a high end. Right. It's, it's basically like a sugary fun, fun beverage. There's that group. But there are sweet wines that are that are higher end. I mean, some of them are extremely expensive. Ice wine, for example, yeah. is extremely yeah. expensive, and, and the reason for that is it's super labor intensive. Basically, you net your 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 grapes out on a on a vineyard, and you let them sit out in your vineyard until like late January, until it's as cold as it can possibly be. Now, during that time period. Animals are going to try and get at them, even if you've even if you've netted them. So you've got to send people out in the vineyard periodically to, to you know, or you got to fire off cannons or have you know anything to Play keep birds. Yeah, you know, they do because that keeps birds and deer out wow. of there. Or they put squawk boxes out there where it'll it'll um, they'll put out distress signals for birds to try and keep birds away. You constantly have to move these things around. So anyway, there's a lot of labor. And then at like two o'clock in the morning on the coldest day of the year, you pull the netting up and under lights, you go out there and you have to hand harvest all these clusters. Now these clusters are all frozen and they're shriveled. And then you take them in. And the reason you do it at two o'clock in the morning is because after a couple of hours of harvesting, you got to press. And you the, the reason you're making ice wine is you want all the water molecules to freeze Sugar doesn't freeze, so when you press it, you're basically getting sugar water out of it. You want as little of that ice wow. to melt um, so that you're getting, it comes out like honey. It comes out super thick and syrupy. Um, you get about one-eighth of the yield per ton in ice wine as you do if you're going to make a still wine. I think of it. Does Wagner? Yeah. They do. Wagner makes ice wine. A lot of, a lot of them do, and they make yeah. really good ones. So the, and then you ferment it's it, like and that's one of those ones. Gross. Ugh. My mom loves it. But it's very expensive. It's very labor intensive. Yeah. It's got very unique flavors, some marmalade type flavors. They're yeah. super sweet, but those are not cheap wines. Those are not low poor quality wines, but they are sweet. There's right. a lot of like like uh, we're making a semi dry riesling because we have a lot of people who like sweeter wines. Right. right? That's going to have about 18 grams of sugar per liter. So I've added that back in. That's not residual sugar. Yeah. We did a we did a tasting trial where we set up a bunch of different and we added different amounts of sugars in and tasted them to see how much sugar. Gotcha. It's not going to be cheap. It's going to be like eighteen or nineteen dollars a bottle. It's not very. It's not. It's not a cheap wine. 
Um, but it's it's got a good amount of sweetness. It will taste sweet. It's for people who like. Well, Riesling is like the biggest wine in this area. Yeah, the it's the area. flagship wine, and that's because of the just because of the demographics, the region, right? The, it the is very yeah. very suitable to this region. Gotcha. Um, and you how come you haven't done Riesling then? Really? Uh, for me, it was I, I I'm only making three to five hundred cases of wine a year. Mm-hmm. There's so much good Riesling yeah. from this region. Yeah, I couldn't really huge. differentiate myself. Are they towing that car? But. Yeah, they're going after yours next. Awesome. Fuck. Did they really tow the car? I don't know. I don't know if he's fucking with me or not. Yes, they're towing it. I would go move your car. No, it's fine. Are you sure? Yeah, that's just a tow truck company. It's not It's not the city. The city okay. will just ticket you. Uh, oh, that's true. They would ticket they're you first. Yeah, yeah, they would yeah, it's not like it's snowing. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right, sorry, everybody listening. <laughs> <laughs> like, paranoid. <laughs> um, Must be the wine. Must be the wine. <laughs> And I forget what I was saying, but... Um, You're talking, we were talking about the Riesling. Um, did the Riesling and why you weren't doing oh, the Riesling, yeah. Yeah, so I, I just couldn't differentiate myself. But I, but now that I've got a pretty good farm, I mean, we have about 45 wine club members now, um, and, and a lot of people have asked about it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not going to... I only made, like, um, 40 cases, basically, split into two, one dry, one semi-dry. Uh-huh. So I didn't make very much of it from a product oh. standpoint. It's just wine club members and people who come to the tasting room will buy it. I, right now, I don't have any plans to like sell it in liquor stores or restaurants or anything like that. That would be right. a special thing. It's really for our customers because people, especially around this area, just you know associate this area with the reason because it just does so well here. So um, let me. All right. So no, no come. Oh, you you talk. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. I'll shut up. I, I have one more so question one I have to ask. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. So let oh, me that's right. I'm sorry. Right. I completely so, distracted. So back to it's <laughs> in the machine. So yeah, let's right. get it. It let's goes get into it. the vat. Go, I go, add go yeast. back to that. Uh, yeah, I add yeast to it. <laughs> okay, it's so eat the sugar. Ju- yes, it eats the sugar. Sugar and then see. So yeah. And during this process. The, the, the wine is heating up because the yeast are waking up, they're eating. I'm monitoring it. What is yeast? Like, yeast is a fungus. It's a fungus. Yep. Okay. Yep. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a micro cell, it's a single cell fungal organism. So is there yeast, like when I drink a glass of wine, am I drinking yeast? There's no yeast in there. Okay. Or, or if there is any residual, because it's unfiltered, it is possible that there are some dead yeast cells in there. Okay. Like if you drink an unfiltered beer, I think there's Belgian ales or anything like yeah. that. They bottle them. And add yeast. There's the, you'll have the dead yeast in the bottom. So it's it's it, yeah. So it's possible that there are some dead yeast cells in there. Probable, I would say. Um, but there, there's no active yeast uh, in there at the moment. Like a yogurt has active yeast in it. When you eat a yogurt, you're eating live yeast. Yeah, probiotics, um, right? Is that what that is? Or is that just some? Oh, um, never mind. That's a whole nother. Yeah, that's but not, anyway, let's not have to go there. So we, we can we can wait on that one. Right. So I I add yeast and I add yeast based on. Uh, the, so the so type they, of grape. Yeah, the type of grape. There's different uh, strains of yeast. They're not. They're all the same species, more or less. But there's different strains that are more suited to different types of wine, whether it's white wine or whether it's champagne or whether it's red wine, depending on what you're going to do with that wine. So I'll add a yeast to that batch, and then I'll monitor the fermentation and I add nutrients the whole. How do you wine. monitor it? So I uh, I check temperature every uh, two or three times a day. I check the sugar levels, depending on how vigorous the fermentation is going. So I'll check the sugar, I'll check the density of it, basically. So I'll see as it's going down. And um, they've done studies on this, you know, on the metabolism of the yeast. This is kind of where my biochemistry 
background was really important for, for learning um, about this industry, that there's certain times when you want to time the nutrient addition based on where the yeast are in their life cycle, in the fermentation cycle. So they, oh. go, they go through a period where they're not metabolizing a ton of the sugar, they're just building up biomass. Basically, they've realized, hey, we're in this big giant vat of food and it's awesome, let's reproduce like crazy. And yeast do that by that, that sporulation where they, they create a bud off of their cell and then pop into two, okay. um, which you know you probably remember like from like eighth, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. And so you probably remember that from like eighth grade science or whatever. But simple, simple, simple version of that. And none of it does the same thing. It's yeah, they, they, it just creates it's another like, little bud yeah. and then it pops into you know it's totally um, separate now a- anyway so it'll go through that period where they build up a, a biomass based on the approximate volume that the yeast feels like it's in the amount of sugar out there mm-hmm. and I will make the amount of yeast that I add to it is based on them getting up to what we call like a critical mass we want the yeast to achieve a certain level um, because that creates the most efficient and cleanest um, fermentation because if yeast are unhappy during their fermentation they will emit one of the things that yeast do is they emit fl- um, uh, aroma esters into the wine we like that for the most part vast majority of the time you know they add you know when you smell a wine you're like oh I'm getting you know plum and strawberry in the wine that's the yeast a lot of that comes from the yeast some of it comes from the grape skins but a lot of that comes from the yeast during the fermentation process so this some is, of it comes from oak as well that's the stress of the not stress. If they're stressed, they kick off bad smells. And that's one of the things, one of my, one of my classes was, I, I had to take a class on wine faults, where we spent a lot of time smelling wine faults. And we, so we identify what the problem is. So like if we're getting a, a rotten egg smell off of, our, off of our fermentation early on, either the yeast aren't getting enough oxygen or they're not getting enough nutrients. And that's why I tie, try and time my nutrient additions to make sure that they're going through and they're very happy throughout and they can fin- they're healthy enough to finish fermentation and they're happy enough that they're not emitting any bad aromas into the wine. And so, so when that's done for the champagne or for white wines, I'll rack it. So I wait for all the yeast to settle out. Fermentation's totally done. The yeast are done. They're dying off. They fall to the bottom. They create like, like? A, like a sludge. Like a sludge? Like a, like like a brown a... sludge, or with red wine, it's like a pink sludge. Ooh. Nice. Um, yeah. If, you, if you've had a Belgian ale before? Like a, yeah, you know, like a Trappist ale? Okay. Because if you, or um, I'm trying to think, Omegong, if you've had any. Uh, oh, I, some, big I used to love yeah. that shit. That was, uh, At yeah. the bottom of their bottles, you'll seven, see that yeah. stuff. That's what it is only in these, in these larger wine vats. It's, it's like an inch or two thick. It's like a crimp. I don't know what a crim is. But. Um, like crim, like on your espresso. Yeah, oh, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. only thicker, only thicker. Yeah. So that all falls. That sludge is on the bottom, and then I'll siphon the good wine off the top. So for champagne, it just goes into another tank. For some white wine. So when you say siphon the good wine off the top. Yeah, I take a hose, I put it in, so and wait, I, and the I have, yeast I have goes a, down, and it goes on top of that. The yeast will all flow. So you got a big like this, right? Okay. You got a you got a container full of Sorry, liquid. I'm just curious. That's okay. And so the yeast, when they're done fermenting, while they're fermenting, they're all floating around in there. There's heat that's generating, you know, movement. You know, temperature okay. changes that's generating movement because the yeast they're not like um, a protozoa that has like a tail and they can't f- 
swim around in there. So there. yeah, so if they're in an area where all the sugar's gone, the only way they can get to another area is either you know they'll reproduce so that there's enough yeast or fermentation changes will move you know cycle them through because of the temperature changes in the um, in in the liquid itself. But when they're done, they're not active anymore. They're heavier than and they all fall down to the bottom like a sediment. So imagine if I poured sand into the into a glass so of water yeah, I see what and you the mean sand fell to the bottom. Yeah. yeah, so then I take a hose and I put it through the top and I suck all the wine off and once I get once I get down to the bottom of the sludge, I stop siphoning liquid off. Um, for champagne, it goes into a stainless steel tank. For Chardonnay, that'll go into a um, that'll go into a um, a barrel um, for oak. Yeah, for oak. Um, for red wines, when that fermentation is done, I still got all the skins in there and seeds and all that stuff. So then I scoop all that out. I pour it into my press and I press off. So then the skins are all left behind and now I've got liquid. But that liquid has all the yeast through it because that whole process, the yeast got mixed all back in and it's a very cloudy liquid. So I press into a stainless steel tank for the red wine and then I wait a few days for all that to settle down to the bottom and then I'll siphon that into a barrel. For, for oak. That's crazy. What a process. So, yeah. Wow. And then it goes in the barrel. How long? And then it depends on the wine. So my Chardonnays, white wines, I usually do about nine months. I don't like white wines. So oak have tannin, uh, want, grapes have tannin. The tannin in grapes is all present in the skins and the seeds. When, you, for, when you're pressing, you know, when you, when you don't ferment on the skins and the seeds, like with white wine, you get less tannin in it. And the tannin in oak will chemically combine with the tannins in wine. And that takes, that takes some time to happen. You want, um, but if you do too much oak, your wines will taste too woody. You know, it'll taste it's just Jet too much like oak. Yeah, oh. you get that. So with white wines, they have less tannin naturally. They can take less tannin from the oak. So they get about nine months. My red wines will get anywhere from 12 oh, to motherfuckers figure this out. 18. That's yeah. a, that's an awesome, I mean, how somebody figured out that oak goes really well <laughs> like, with wine. The whole process, crazy, like yeah. yeast. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, we're going to use that. Well, thing. the thing about yeast, I'm sure that was discovered by accident because yeast cells are actually on the skins of grapes. So if you eat a bunch of grapes, you're eating live yeast cells. Yeah. That's naturally on. Oh, wow. Yeah. The yeast are all over the, the, the grapes. So do you reuse the barrels, so, like the wood barrels? Again? Yeah. I, I use a lot of staves, actually. I have a really good um, su supplier who makes staves. He doesn't make, he's not a cooper. So usually the, the, the staves, a like a cooper, a person who makes barrels. Okay. It's called a cooper. Um, <laughs> usually, historically, staves have been all the leftover, the material that didn't make the grade to be in a barrel. He doesn't make barrels. He takes the material that would be for a barrel, and he makes staves out of them, and he figured out a way to cut them. Um, and the guy's name is Peter DeVivi, um, and you can actually, his product is so, um, it's called wine sticks, or um, he makes them for beer also, they're called beer sticks. He figured out a way to cut them that exposes both the short and the long grain. And in doing that, it helps integrate the, the, the tannins and, and from the wood into the wine. And it does it in a really nice, gentle method that it's not harsh. And I always thought that I'm going to be buying a whole lot of barrels. Barrels are super expensive. Um, but he, uh, along with um, a winemaker from Sheldrick Point, Dave Breeden, they put on a, taste, a blind tasting for a whole bunch of industry people because they did wine in barrel, wine with staves, wine with other companies' staves, wine with little cubes or sawdust. 
you know, whole different, and we blind tasted them. And I liked all of his wine, uh, wine sticks products as much or better than a lot of the barrel products. And it's significantly cheaper for me to buy them from him, and I can reuse those as well. And so sometimes I do. So with a Cab Franc, that gets a portion of used oak in them. Um, so, yeah, you can reuse oak, but it loses its, it loses its um, potency over time. So I only reuse them once. Barrels, after you use them two or three times, it's the same thing. They lose all of their potency. And, and then some winemakers will still use them, but they're considered neutral oak, so they're not contributing anything into the wine. They might have a little bit different feel than a stainless steel aging, but um, it's not, they're not, you're not getting the same as a, a one-year-old barrel, for example. Um, All right, so, so then in the barrel, yeah, they're so tested. Now, yeah, they're so good then to go. Periodically, I'll check them to make sure they're doing the right thing. And then when I get to a point where I say, okay, this thing's had enough oak. And actually, that's a little bit of a feel because the, 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 the process I was telling you about with the tannins combining from the oak, combining with the tannins in the wine, that will continue to happen for a couple of months after the oak is removed from the wine. So you have to actually predict when you think there's gonna be enough oak in the wine. Wow. And that's a little, that takes just time and experience. And it's something that I'm still learning. And I'm sure there's a lot of winemakers out there who'll tell you like, I'm still learning how to do that right. It just, sometimes you'll get a batch and you're like, whoops, that got a little more oak than I wanted, but, um, or a little bit less, you know, sometimes, mm -hmm. you're, you know, it's just the way that it happens. But once it gets to that point, then I take it out of barrel because uh, um, I'll take it off the wood, out of barrel, out of tank, whatever. Um, it'll go into another tank. Um, and then I do a process called sparging where I run um, nitrogen through it. Little tiny bubbles of nitrogen. I have a sparging stone. It's basically like a pumice stone. And it, it's on the end of a tube. And that tube forces nitrogen through. And I put that into the, into the barrel of wine, or into the tank of wine now. And these little bubbles go through. Because while I'm, when I do all these racking processes, during that process, wine can pick up oxygen. And oxygen, when it, bind, when it binds with wine, when it gets dissolved into wine, it can bind with the um, alcohol and create... Um, I forget what it's called now, acetaldehyde, I think it's called. Anyway, it's that oxidized flavor that spoils wine. Uh, if you've ever had sherry or port, those wines are kind of intentionally oxidized and then they get a lot of sugar to kind of balance it out. But in like dry wet wine or still wines like this, they're not very, um, they're, they're, it's not a, a, a pleasurable, you don't like it, it's bad, it's spoilage. So that's what the nitrous. Well, it, it, it picks nitrogen. up. During that process, while I'm doing all this gentle racking, it's going to naturally pick up some what they call undissolved oxygen. So, or dissolved oxygen, it's not bound yet, but it's in the, the oxygen's in there and it's ready to bind. But it, that chemical process hasn't happened. The nitrogen bubbles will actually bind with the oxygen and they'll help them evaporate into the air okay. and get out of the wine. And I do that before bottling, and that way I know that I have as little oxygen in the wine as possible when I actually go to bottle. So I do that the night before, then I add some sulfite. Um, the great thing about sulfite is for wine as a food beverage is actually pretty awesome because it's, it's susceptible to only a small, relatively speaking, a small number of spoilage microorganisms versus like you know, bread or veg, you know, just a raw mm. vegetable out there. Yeah. There's a bazillion types of microorganisms. Wine, there's very few because it's got alcohol in it, which is, which is you know, antimicrobial. Acid, the low pH in wine is antimicrobial. 
Um, and then all of those things are, are susceptible to sulfite. So we add a little bit of sulfite to the wine before we bottle. And then, and then I wait a day for it to, to, to integrate throughout the hole so it's uniform through there. And then the next day, we come and we, we you know, we, through hoses, we pump the wine into our bottling tank, uh, or into our bottler. And then, um, yeah, we, it, it flows down into the bottles and then we cork them. And so is that why wine, so, so I'm thinking like the different, you're talking about the different things. So why wine has dates? Like the years written on Wine it. has a year on it almost always because that's the year that those grapes were harvested. Okay. That's that's all that that's telling you. There are some non-vintage so wines. So I'm wondering like consistency through the years. Like your rosé yeah. 2015 versus 2014. Like what are some factors that are going to make those different? Uh, each growing season is totally different. Okay. So I'll give you an example. So this past year we had a ton of rain. Uh, especially so early on. It goes way back to the beginning of the process. Yep, wow. exactly. So that okay. ton of rain created um, a heavier crop load. We had slightly lower sugar levels. So I'm going to have the, the 2017 vintage is going to have a little lower alcohol levels because the alcohol is related to the sugar. The yeast eat the sugar, create alcohol. The less sugar is available to them, less alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right, you're getting it. You're and getting so, so there's that. Just, there's also yeah. the heavier crop load. That's just going to naturally change the aroma profiles that the grapes give off. Um, you're going to have that from year to year. Two years ago, 2016, we had the drought year, very little rain. So we had very, very dense skins on the grapes. So those grapes are going to be a lot more aromatic, I think, than the 2017 vintage. Um, higher sugar levels. Um, so you're going to have a little bit higher alcohol. They're going to be a little bit hotter, a lot, you know, a little, not quite as soft as the 2017. Um, and so then those things factor into how much time I give them an oak. Or you know how long I age them. All I can of that see how this would be like super exciting to do if you're into it too, because it's never yeah. it's not it doesn't get boring. Like there's it's, it's always well, yeah. there's adjustments, right? Like yeah. You have to adjust based on scenarios, yes. and it all starts with the grape and yeah. weather. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it all comes back to the agriculture. That, that's an yeah. that's huge. So, is it true that if you like this is 2013, the Cab Franc that we're drinking? Um, the longer you let it slow, so if we let it sit in our five years, would it be better tasting and would it change? Yeah. Like, like why, it, it, why is it the longer it sits, it's, a, it's, so it's better? Or yeah. And then sometimes yes, sometimes no. Right. The, the quick and dirty answer is that it's related to tannins. Okay. And I'll explain that in a second. the tannins continue after you take it out, right? For the oak, that'll happen. But also, so what, what tannins are, they're these big chemical chains. I think that they're actually a, a, a protein or protein derivative, but they're these okay. big, long chemical chains. And the way the tannins work, actually, in terms of your mouthfeel, is they interfere with your taste buds. They create friction over your taste buds, um, and it makes the wine feel bigger in your mouth. So, uh, you know, wine has actually a lower specific gravity than water. So if you pour wine into water, wine's gonna sink, uh, or wine's gonna float on top. It's lighter than water because alcohol is lighter than water. Alcohol will float on top, water's heavier. And there's, you know, in these like 12, 13% alcohol in here. So it should, it should you know, float to the top. Well, um, you've seen this, you ever seen a B52 shot where it's like, they'll take like a really sugary, 
um, like grenadine, and that'll be on the bottom. And then yeah. they'll, you know, and they'll work their way up until like vodka, which is like 80% alcohol hey, or yeah, 40% and it alcohol. And it yeah, yeah. The more, the less sugar and the more alcohol it has, the higher it will be, the lower the specific gravity. So it's the same with wine. So wine that's why when you drink it, you get the sugar at the end. What's that? When you drink a B-52, because it's on the bottom. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it's the same thing. Wine is lighter than water. <laughs> but So wine is lighter and thinner than water. But when you drink water, you don't have the same kind of mouthfeel. That's because tannins are interfering with your taste buds, creating friction and making you feel like it's bigger than it really is. It's why wine has, they say wine has like a bigger mouthfeel to it. Right. Um, yeah, it makes it well. Over time, so those tannins, when they, especially when they're early, and I should have you guys come down and try like wine right now. It's really harsh. Like if you ever bite into a banana peel, that is tannin. To smoke them. <laughs> but if you ever bite into one, you know that really astringent type of drying out of your mouth? Yeah. That comes from tannin. That is that is creating friction on your and, and kind of almost drying out your um it, it's interfering with water with saliva flowing over your taste buds right. and feeling like you're drying your mouth out. That comes from tannins. And what they so that's what they do in my cinnamon. So when they're very young, <coughs> those tannins are very big, big chains and they're very abrasive. So if you try my 2017 Cabernet Franc right now, it, it tastes very harsh. And we, we in the wine industry we say it's kind of wild and gnarly, these tannins. They're very big and they're harsh and abrasive. Gnarly. Over time, those those tannins will what they call hydrolyze. So they like basically will create a hydrogen bond with the water and they'll pop off into smaller tannin chains. Those tannin chains are softer. They create a softer mouthfeel. So with red wine and, and white wines that are aged, especially white wines that are aged on oak, when you let them sit longer and bottle because they have higher tannin content, they will feel softer and better. But there's a shelf life on this. So it really depends on how your wine is built. Some wines are built to be aged long-term. They have really strong, gotcha. big tannins. And if you drink them early, they don't taste as good as they will five, seven, 10 years from now. Gotcha. Right? Okay. So a good example for us is our 2012 actually, uh, Cab Franc has a lot lower tannin structure than our 2013. Our 2012 is starting to hit its peak, basically. Like, it, you know, it, it's still good, but it's not going to get any better right now. Gotcha. And we're sold out of this, fortunately. So some, I know some wine club members have some in their library or whatever. And they should probably drink those within the next, say, five years. Right. Um, whereas the 2013, I think that this one could actually age quite a bit longer. Okay. Um, because it's got, it's just got a stronger tannin structure, and I think it'll hold up to more to more time aging and a lot of our Chardonnays are made with a lot of oak and so they, they can hold up to, to longer aging they'll soften over time nice but that's the idea but like a, you know so a lot of your Rieslings and stuff like that they're only good as long as they're good as, essentially you know so they're not going to get any better um, so like the Riesling that we're going to release in the spring that will be as good today as it will be in 5 or 6 years 10-15 years from now it probably won't be great anymore Gotcha. Um, it just depends. We'll see how, how it turns out. Right. Um, that makes sense. But once it starts going downhill, it's just, that's it. Right. You know. Um, so it really depends. Yeah. Whereas a lot of these red wines will have a much gentler downhill because gotcha. their, their tannin structure is so much bigger. So I have a question. So a lot of, obviously, I work both in the fitness industry and um, mm -hmm. health industry and stuff. So I always hear over, everybody always say there's a lot more sugar in white wine than there is in red wine. And that white wine is 
is not good for you at all. Let's just let's just talk nutrients sure. for a moment, right? And red wine, if you're going to drink wine, red wine is a better option for you as far as getting nutrients, less sugar, that kind of thing. So, what do you think about that? And compare the two. Like, let's look at it from a, um, a health standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Like, what, like, break it down a little bit. I want to like what's what's if you were to recommend the white over the red or red over white, what, why and what's what's the give me give right. me a little breakdown of this. Okay. Yeah. So first of all. I would never recommend wine as a health product. Right. I know some people do like red wine, it's good for you, you should drink. Right. I think if you look at the body of the studies on it, there are some health benefits to resveratrol, which is an antioxidant yep. present in grape skins, yep. uh, red, red grape wine, skin, red yeah, wine, red yeah. grape skins and red right. berries. Yeah. Um, Anti-aging. Yeah. I think a lot of those, a lot of those, a lot of the health effects of that. Yeah, I think a lot of the health effects of Reservatol there's are other, offset by alcohol. There's other antioxidants yeah. in red wine, too, that are pretty good. And then the alcohol helps with the, with the yeah. absorption of it. Actually. Well, those antioxidants would also be present in white wines. Reservatol okay. is, is the only one that's, that's that, different. that is different gotcha. okay. between the two. White wine is not necessarily sweet. That's the, the stigma that it might get because, like Riesling in general, wine, wines that have a high acid content usually typically you know, typically need a little bit of sugar to round them out, make them more balanced. Okay. Chardonnay doesn't have to be sweet. You can back sweeten it a little bit, but it doesn't have to be. Okay. Um, so by and large, yeah, dry. There's a lot of dry white wine out there. It has no more sugar. No, like for our wines, are uh, with the exception of the Riesling that we're going to release. All of our still white wines have no more sugar than our still red wines. Okay. There's no difference in terms of residual sugar content. We don't add in any because we don't filter them. So there's no difference in terms of if you're looking for sugar. Okay. Um, there's sometimes there's a little bit higher alcohol content in in red wine. Right. The alcohol That's has calories. Point. Well, alcohol has calories. Right. It's metabolized, you know, right. similarly or somewhat to sugar in some instances with some people. So mm -hmm. there's that as a consideration. You're talking 1% to 2% usually. With my wines, there's not very much of a difference, less than 1% um, okay. for the most part. So not a big difference there. Um, for me, I think other than Reservatol, um, in terms of health benefits, as we talked about, not filtering I think helps. There's right. always going to be, you know, you're going to get, like I said, some dead yeast cells. Well, dead, dead yeast has a lot of B12 in it. Right. So you're going to get a lot more B12 out of my wine than you are going to get out of a filtered wine. Okay. Um, B12? Yeah. Yeast, you know, the yeast has a lot of B, vitamin Bs in it. Um, so, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, there's going to be a little bit more nutrient content from that standpoint. Okay. Um, but... You know, other than that, there really isn't a lot. I know that there's a lot of, there's some bad stigma about sulfite. Yeah, um, and it's I'll, a huge. Yeah, and I'll talk about that a little bit, like just from my, obviously I'm a biased perspective, right. but um, even wines where they don't add sulfite to them have to say contains, often, most of the time, have to say contains sulfite on the bottom. The reason is, well, first of all, our body creates sulfite itself. Um, it's a mineral, right? Uh, no, it's a it's a potassium metabisulfite is the is the chemical that I add to it. Um, the reason that I add it to wine is it's actually sulfur dioxide, um, and it's the same reason that it, your body will produce it. Um, yogurt has a lot of it in it. It's an antimicrobial. Like I said, all the spoilage microorganisms that work on yeast, they're susceptible to sulfite. So when yeast start fermenting, they actually produce 
sulfur dioxide because yeast can detoxify it, but their competitors, other microorganisms that might want to feed on that, on that wine, are susceptible to it. So that's why even if you don't add sulfite to your wine, you usually have to say it contains sulfite. Now, why sulfite. do you add sulfite to it? Before? You add sulfite to it because you want to get it up. So the, the reason you add sulfite to it is um, a potassium metabisulfite is a chemical, but when it gets into wine, um, the sulfur dioxide pops off, and it, we call it free SO2. And that is what acts primarily as the microbial agent. It, it is is toxic to a lot of molds and mildews and and other spoiled okay. yeast organisms. Okay. So why so, is it bad for us as human beings? It's why not. Are we, why are people yeah, saying it's, it is? It's so not. I feel like microbes there, are good. So why are people saying it is though? Why is there? Because there's obviously whenever whenever something there comes are, up, there's yeah. got to be some research that says it is bad for you. Yeah. Well, well, for, there there are. So there's two things. Number one, there's a very very tiny percentage of the population. Uh, there, there are people who are asthmatics, okay. and for whatever reason, when they get sulfur dioxide, um, their body can't um, detoxify it, and okay. they have a real problem. This is a very, very tiny percentage of this, and those people know it because they have to avoid a ton of foods, dried fruit, all kinds right. of stuff. There's a whole slew of foods okay. that they have to be very careful about. If you're not one of those people, you do not have a bad reaction to sulfite. I mean, you create it. When, when they've done studies in, in mice, the, 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 um, they found detrimental effects around six, um, was it 615 parts per million. This is when they were feeding mice with sulfite at 1,615 parts per million in every ounce of food that they ate, right? Anything below that, they found these are you know, these are lab rats. Right. Anything below 615 parts per million in every single morsel of food that they ate was um, uh, they showed no health symptoms at all. It wasn't until 600, which you, know, you can make that argument. You eat a lot of anything, you're going to have some health consequences to right. it. Um, the legal limit for sulfite in wine is 350 parts per million. Now, if I put 350 parts per million sulfite into my wine, you would hate it. It would taste terrible. Right. It would, so I'm well below that threshold. Gotcha. All wines are well below that threshold. Otherwise, you, 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 know, um, you would taste it. Some people taste, can taste sulfite in wine as low as like 70 or 80 parts per million. That's where the beginning of human threshold, the very... Right. Um, so there's no level in any legal wine that is going to bother anybody from a health standpoint. But there is a myth out there about the what they call the red wine headache and people attributed it to sulfur. Right. That is false. It didn't they've actually so researchers looked into this and they were like, why are people having this because because there is a real reaction from some people to some wines mm -hmm. that would result in a headache and, and some other stuffiness, some other issues. They said, well, this is real, but we know that it's not coming from sulfite when they studied it. There's, 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 just, there's no effect. So they looked into it, and there's a histamine. There, so wine undergoes two fermentations sometimes, not always. Like my Rieslings didn't undergo this fermentation. But there's uh, the acids, the, the organic acids that are in wine are, are tartaric acid and malic acid. Mm -hmm. Malic acid is 
um, a very strong acid, organically speaking. It's not like hydrochloric acid. It's not like that strong. But organic acids are very general overall. But malic acid is one of the stronger. The way that acids work is they have two hydrogen bonds, on, or they'll have a hydrogen bond on them. That's what defines an, a hydrogen. So if you think of hydrochloric acid, that's hydrogen and chlorine. The hydrogen is making that bond, creates the acid, right? And it has low pH, and we all know the qualities of acids. Um, they help break things down or whatever, but in wine they serve as a preservative, and that's why uh, vines have a lot of acid. You know, when they're making the grapes, it, it serves as a antimicrobial; it's a deterrent to spoilage. Right. Um, so malic acid, malic acid has two of these hydrogen bonds, um, whereas um, lactic acid—it's not naturally present in wine, but lactic acid, which is naturally present in milk has only one. Basically, if you pop off one of those hydrogen bonds from malic acid, and this is very like rudimentary chemistry, back of the envelope stuff, but for poor man's, poor man's version, yeah. if you pop off like one of those, <laughs> yeah, you have, so if you pop Rose one of those hydrogen atoms off of, tar of malic acid, you get lactic acid. Well, there's a bacteria that naturally does it. It happens in yogurt all the time. So they take, this bacteria turns malic acid into lactic acid. Mm -hmm. That softens the wine. It raises the pH a little bit because lactic acid isn't as strong. It's got one less hydrogen atom, so it's not okay. as it's not as acidic. Um, wines that are aged for a long period of time, like Chardonnays um, and, uh, and, and red wines that are aged in oak, they naturally undergo this process. This process happened by accident years ago because that bacteria really likes oak. Um, and so if you would just age your wine in an oak barrel, over time it would naturally happen. However, we've learned that that bacteria is picky. It, it needs warmer temperatures. So when you start finishing, and, and it takes a lot longer than yeast. Yeast, I get my yeast fermentations done in three weeks or less. Malolactic, I've had malolactic fermentation last into January before with my wines. I have to keep it warm that whole time. Back in the past, it would go into a wine cellar. They didn't even know that this happened. Then the wine would sit in barrel. This, and then it would start in the springtime when that cave would warm up or whatever. Then that malic, that malic acid bacteria would start working again and finish it out. Well, we've discovered that when that, that malic acid bacteria either takes a very long time, doesn't have enough nutrients, it gets a little ornery and it, and it releases a histamine that 15% of the population is allergic to. So 15% of people, if, they, 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 if there's a wine that has that histamine in it, they're going to have an adverse reaction to that wine. They're gonna get the proverbial red wine headache. And that's where it comes from. So we do all kinds, I do all kinds of things to help um, preserve, to help let, not that, let, let that happen. So one thing I do is what's called co-inoculation. So in the, in the past, as opposed to just letting this happen naturally, I'll inoculate with yeast at the beginning of fermentation, and then partway through, before the yeast are done, but while the yeast have built up enough mass and they're happy and they're not threatened by everything, I'll add malolactic bacteria. To, that way I'm making sure they get added while the wine is warm, because the yeast are creating heat while they're fermenting, and the yeast haven't eaten up all the nutrients. I'll also add in nutrients that malolactic bacteria like to help them so that, they're, so that they don't release this histamine. And then I make sure that my malolactic fermentation isn't interrupted. That means I keep my wine above 60, 65 degrees until it's done. And then I do a, a chemical analysis 
periodically, starting right now, I just did my first one yesterday, and I check to see if that malolactic, if for the presence of malic acid in the absence of, of uh, or for the presence of lactic acid and the absence of malic acid, meaning that all of the malic acid has been converted to lactic. And I, I, I make sure that that whole process is uninterrupted. It doesn't get too cold. They don't shut down. And that wow. way, I prevent them from releasing that histamine so that people should never get a red-white headache from my wine or most other really high-quality wines. Wow, that's, but that's, that was falsely attributed geez. to sulfites. Right. And it took years and years of research for them to actually discover. And it was only about five or six years ago that they said, hey, this is what it's actually. They've been actually able to identify the red wine headache. Well, I'm learning something new because I'm always telling my clients, you're going to drink wine, drink red wine over white wine. And because uh, it has less sugar, and you know, drink organic wine because you have don't drink dry have, wine. So Any dry, dry wine will have less sugar. All right, well, I, I, lactic acid. So, like, isn't that something? Don't our us as humans create that in ourselves? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Because that's like the soreness you get is is a relative. If like, your cells haven't developed to metabolize it, right? That, yeah, that's right. what when being you, in when, shape is. Yeah. The more in shape you are, the more you don't. You, the more you can counteract that lactic acid. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. yes, absolutely. That was the first, because this is like when you were talking about lactic acid. Like, yeah. Um, you know, that was the first thing I thought of is just like being sore and that feeling. Right. You know, like, and, and I think I both said, yeah, that's the lactic acid buildup in your muscles. Right, exactly. So, yeah. It's fascinating. And I think, like, just listening to you talk and, like, there's so many levels of it. It's like, it's, it's really crazy. And I think what Steve was alluding to is like, I think wine is just a better choice than if someone's drinking a Jack and Coke. You know what I mean? You yeah, know, like, I, 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 I would agree. Um, you know, uh, or, or even some crappy beer. Right. You know, I think uh, as far as... Well, I, I think you can, yeah, particularly with, with you know, distillates, any hard alcohol, alcohol is really your biggest health issue. In the past, alcohol has been great because it has been in, for prior to pasteurization and you know having you know municipal filtered you know water. People didn't have a, a, a source uh, of um, sterile liquid that they could drink on a regular basis, and that's that's why having a, a little alcohol. That's why you know having rum for sailors who would go on these. Trips across the sea, they needed that rum to put in their water to sterilize it over time, and it was the same thing with you know like so for much of human civilization, having alcohol as a as a preservative or as an antimicrobial agent was healthy, but now we don't need it anymore, right. you know, and it doesn't really serve a health purpose, and that's why I always say you know drink what you like. That's why also why I try and push people toward luxury wines because I would rather you drink you spend. You know, you, you drink less, but you spend more on what you buy because you're buying, you know, a health a healthier product for you, right. relatively speaking. Not a health product for you, but a healthier product. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. We're not by any means saying it's healthy to drink lots well, of wine. I think it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Exactly. Tastes good. Right. Really where the problem comes is the inhibitions when you're under the alcohol. Right. right. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like that's when I get Steve to eat pizza. <laughs> yeah, right. And he actually downs, yeah, and, downs the cookie. Right, yeah. and that's why you, why I like, I think wine pairing it with food is, you know, awesome. And I fucking love 
a tray of like crackers and cheese and grapes with like a glass of wine. Like, yeah, and little little like you gotta you gotta come out to his place and do a little tasting. It's awesome. That, that's how we operate. His yeah, mom we, makes the food. We do really good. Yeah, we do tastings and we do okay, food pairing with each one. I think it's uh, listen to you speak. You're passionate about it. You have a purpose, and it's like it's it's refreshing to have someone sitting here. I mean, we always have someone that has purpose here, but like I think. We haven't done a podcast in a couple of weeks, and like getting a chance to sit down and like hear someone, and like you could talk about this shit all day, like yeah. like yeah. And it's inherent. <laughs> just listen to you talk, like how passionate you are about it, and it's awesome. Thank it's, you. It's really yeah. just it's it's good to see. Like it's not like you're like oh I'm making wine to make money. No, you're making wine because you love the fucking process and you love all the little science of it and like, like how can you be better and how can you challenge yourself and how can you do all these different things and it's it's really uh, a cool thing to hear and then actually having a product to like show yeah what happened in that year based on that weather from that grape at that time it's pretty cool and acid within the like it's it's crazy <laughs> you know I love it um, yeah. Totally. So, like, when we get to this point, like, we if, if someone you you talked about sleeping in your office and just not having fulfillment in your life, and you just made this change, and it, it doesn't have to be for wine, but what are some things of words of advice you would give someone that is ready to make that first step in their lives, and what would you recommend them doing to do that? Um, I, for me, there was a lot of preparation, you know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't quit my job and then start doing this. I kept working my job. I, I, you know, I asked people already in the industry, Hey, this is the pathway that I'm thinking about. Does it make sense? Um, and I, I think, so I think setting up that foundation is really important. Um, figuring out a way to, um, to get to your goals in a practical manner. So I kept working. I, I did switch. I moved to a different company and um, so that I had better hours. So I, I left the law firm and I worked in-house at a, at a real estate investment trust and then a hedge fund and, um, and then an investment company. But they were jobs where I pretty much had a nine to five um, as opposed to having, you know, made a little less money when I made that move, but and then I was able to do that work. But I didn't, I didn't like abandon my career. So I, I, you know, I would caution people against just all of a sudden jumping in without the proper preparation. Um, the second thing that I think I had that was, maybe I was lucky, but I think I had a ton of support. Um, I have a lot of friends. Um, we, we have 13 people, friends and family, who've also invested in the winery, including your brother, Steve. Um, and <clears throat> pardon me having that kind of support was very encouraging to me because it felt like okay I'm, I'm doing the right thing um, I fell into a situation where my grandparents had a dormant farm and they were super generous about letting me using that but I feel like you will see those kinds of doors open up to you when you are kind of pursuing the right thing um, yeah, and, I, and I think that would be, yeah, yeah and, and, and it doesn't mean that if you become across roadblocks and challenges, that that means you should shut down. Like, we, we had to go through hell of the town to get zoned properly in order to do what I'm doing there. And that took a lot of work and a lot of effort and some really, really um, 
uncomfortable, not fun town board meetings and money spent on attorneys and stuff like that. So there were challenges along the way, you know, that we had to learn to overcome. So I don't want to tell you, hey, if you just because the doors don't open wide open for you, don't. But you will also see during that whole process, I had a lot of support. I had I, I, I lucked into an attorney who had experience in this area. Her name is Tracy Jong. She does all kinds of. Um, so I'll plug her real quick here because she was awesome. Um, she has a practice in Henrietta, I think, and she was super supportive. Helped me get the license. Helped me with the zoning board. Um, so uh, I, I lucked into somebody who had that kind of expertise. I feel like that was more of a door opening versus me running into a town that, that was, you know, I could view that as a door closing. But instead, I got to form a really good relationship with somebody who just so happened, I didn't even know this, had the experience to do it. Um, so that really helped. And plus I had the family behind me. So I think that, you know, you'll see those types of things happening. You will see that support come behind you even as you're meeting challenges. You'll have people encourage you. You know, um, so that, that would be what I would say to people who are at that point. Make sure you do the right prep work because that is important. Um, and, you know, don't just, you make a rash decision. This was years in, in coming. You know, I started this in 2006 and it was 2012 that I started my own uh, winery. And even by that standards, I think that was very, very fast. You know, one of, one of my friends who's, who's an investor said to me, this happened, like, we were with you day one, but it feels like this happened so quickly. Like, and it, and it life, did. Life yeah. happens fast. Yeah. It can, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Blink your eyes and it's completely different. Mm -hmm. Five years has gone. You're somewhere yeah. else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, so um, Connor, where can people find your winery? How can people get by your wines? If they can't, maybe get make it out to Victor. What restaurants, websites, you know, liquor stores, things like that. How can they reach yeah, you? Yeah, just off the top of my head, and I apologize to those vendors that don't, um, that, that I forget, um, that have my wine. But just off the top of my head, well, you can get it at www.songhillwinery.com. Um, we, we sell, we distribute to, I think we're up to about nine different states right now that we awesome. can ship to. So we can also ship to a whole number of states. And you can inquire if your states isn't one of those. We might just not have done the license process because we didn't need to. Um, and then um, you can also call me anytime um, at 773-551-9245. Uh, that's that's the winery number. That's a direct line to me. And um, you can make appointments to do a tasting or if you wanted to come by, um, you would call me at that number. And then um, Bombas Wine and Spirits in um, Farmington on the corner of 332 and 96 has our wine. Parenton Liquor in Parenton right now off of 31 has our wine. Um, uh, Ryan's Wines and Spirits down in Canandaigua has our wine. Lentil Restaurant carries our wine. Rome Cafe carries our wine. Uh, and Black Horse Bistro in Menden also carries our wine. All three of those restaurants are absolutely phenomenal. I love Lentil. Yeah, they do such a great job. And, um, and, and they're really good. That we've done wine dinners at all those places. They're really awesome about pairing wines and making wine recommendations. You'll also find other really good uh, wines uh, there as well. So I highly recommend you check those places out. Awesome. Well, Connor, thanks so much for, for being on today. Yeah, it's been thank a pleasure you. to have you, man. And um, for all you guys listening, remember that we to comment, to share, to like, to any any questions you have, please leave in the comments on, on the comments either in, in Facebook or even in the um, iTunes app as well. And we will see you guys next time. Thanks a lot.